0: Of this. I'm a bag of dicks, put me to your lips. I am sick, I will punch a bunch of baby bear in his shit. Give me lip, I'ma send you to the yard. Get a stick, make a switch. I can end the conversation real quick. I am crack, I ain't lying. Kick a lion in this crack. I'm the shit, I will fall off in your crib. Take a shit, hit
1: your mama on that booty. Kick your dog, fuck your bitch. That boy dressed up
0: like you sound, on and took pictures with your kids. We the best, we will cut a frowny face
2: in your chest, little wench.
0: I'ma mention be fresh, i am a to Correct. I will walk into a court while they wreck screaming. Yes, I am guilty. Motherfuckers. I am dead. Hey, you want to hear a good joke? Nobody speak. Nobody get choked.
3: Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and it's an incredible night for Dopey. Tonight we have legendary MC, civic leader, social activist, actor, marijuana advocate and stoner, Barbara Sharp, impresario and entrepreneur, Killer Mike. What's happening?
4: How you you doing, Dave? Good good to talk to you, man. Shouts out to... all our people out there
3: who get dopey, man. Right on, man. Um, what an honor it is to have you on the show. I'm a, oh, man. I'm a big fan, Thank and I'm, I'm learning more and more and more about you. Uh, out of oh, all those titles, which is your favorite title? Out of all those titles,
4: which is my favorite title? Um, my favorite title is Shay's
3: Husband. All right. I'm married. I'm married to a dope, dope wife and she also is
4: a fellow stoner and our life kind of balances and we, and we thrive through, through through. you know, we thrive as stoners. So my favorite title is Shade's Husband. And next to that, you know, it's, it's probably Dan and Stoner. <laughs> you
3: know? Right on. So you go, you're very smart because happy wife is a happy life, which is something exactly. I learned. I learned that very slowly, way too slowly. Yeah,
4: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Shut the fuck up, it,
3: so. do as you're told <laughs> man absolutely
1: yeah.
3: and and i commend you to be such a happy stoner i was once a happy stoner and my stonerdom got uh canceled out by terrible heroin addiction so my 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 stonerdom yeah. dried up the to my mother my mother, was, uh, my mother
4: was an artist and and and, and, and suffering from some addictions you know, cocaine was a much sexier and different drug in the 70s and 80s, and it led to a lot of people's addictions. As a stoner, though, that's all I've ever, you know, I don't have a tolerance for a real drugs, Like, you know, anything that's processed coke, heroin and stuff, I don't really have the tolerance. I don't even drink alcohol, you know. So for me, it's just a plant, and that's pretty much where I am with it. That's that's all I can do. Painkillers I've had to take a couple times after surgery. That shit hurts so bad, locks your stomach up, fuck shit, like touches the shit up. I could, you know, God, God bless those who had the strength to do real drugs. I've never had, I've never had that kind of fortitude, though.
3: Right, and you hurt your shoulder, right, recently?
4: Yeah, I tore my rotator cuff on my right arm three, two, three years ago, and I tore the, um, on the left arm and had surgery about seven, eight weeks ago. Like, all right, and you are feeling okay now? Yeah, I managed to stop taking the opiates, um, about three weeks in, and, um, just been, you know, marijuana and lots of stretching and exercises.
3: You didn't like, the opiate didn't catch you at all, you didn't, did you ever have a moment with the, with the painkillers where you were like, ah, I know what they like about this?
4: <laughs> no, nah, I broke my ankle years ago in, in St. Louis, and I was given, um, uh, a real heavy opiate, and it, it was, I remember telling, talking to the doctor, like, yo, when is it going to kick in? My ankle still hurts. And he says, you should be feeling it right about, now. and right when he sat down, I got the most incredible warm rush that ever felt through my body. I felt better than I've ever felt. And I knew my ankle was broken. I said, anything that makes me feel this close to heaven, and, and I know I'm in pain i never want again. And so I, I did that dance that night in the hospital, and years later, running with a little clip, I got introduced to Lean, and I had a lot of fun running around in Texas for a couple months on that and then your stomach starts locking up and uh, Bun B called me out of nowhere like yo you know you, you you going a little too hard on that so I put that down and I, I ain't really rock what I'm saying so you know I did a little rapper dance a couple times but I'm it's, it's just, you know it feels too good to do consistently yeah you know?
3: tell me about it I know exactly what you mean Um, <clears throat> now in, in my little research about you I found out a lot of interesting stuff uh, the first song that popped up to me was this "Black Power, White powder White Powder" song. Yeah, yeah, and, Black and, Power, White Powder, and so what's the deal with that? How would you describe I mean, that? That people,
4: people, always drugs in the black communities in the eighties and nineties—it's just kind of desolating the community, and they did. And there was, you know, you know, you, you know about Iran Contra the government's involvement in allowing cocaine to flood and flooding the pro urban communities. You understand that that was a real evil agenda behind it. But with that said, from an economic standpoint, at a time when jobs were being American, things of that nature, the dope man, the dope boy and hustler became local heroes because they were the people that were opening businesses. They were the people that started moving companies, trucking companies. Those were the people bought storage facilities, that bought and refurbished houses. They were entrepreneurs, you know. The same way in the old South, bootleggers. You know, you talk about the Kennedys. Their dad, you know, made money from bootlegging.
3: Right. So in
4: the South, if you wouldn't have NASCAR, without bootlegging. You know, my grandfather, the former liquor runner. You know, I can remember being, I think, second or third grade when GBI came to our house because um, my mom and dad had like a hundred gallons of moonshot in our attic. So you know, it's it, it's it's for for me, black power, white power was just an opportunity to give a story or an example of someone who survived the drug war or survived the drug era um, through entrepreneurship. And, and not, you know, all stories don't end up with you going to jail and you being killed. Some of them end up with you just becoming an entrepreneur, leading a square life. You know, you just haven't had your start through criminal acts. And no one should be ashamed of that. I mean, this country was started, you know, through criminality. If it wasn't for slavery, we wouldn't have had the economic 200-year economic head start that we got. that got us free from, you know, from 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 the UK, essentially. So, you know, um, in America, behind every great fortune is usually a great crime. Right. So, I'm just simply telling the community I'm from. You know, take a little more pride in your criminals that did it the right way.
3: I hear you. I, and from what I read, you participated in a little bit of criminality before you got your entrepreneur in full swing. Is that true or untrue?
4: Yeah, I learned how to be an entrepreneur selling crap <laughs> you know, That's how. That's how I learned economics and the raw rudimentary lessons of, of economics through that through just street sales
3: now know? let me ask you cause we usually have like uh addicts on telling crazy stories about going to see the dope man or whatever do you have any like can you remember cause it's probably a while ago do you remember any really crazy moments selling crack
4: uh there are a lot of crazy moments selling <laughs> crack I can remember a guy Pee Wee teaching me how to put like Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola or something and while he was cooking, to make it darker, to make it look like tan, you know, I can't remember. Um, right. I can't remember one of my old was he was he had just trapped all week. and was just like fast asleep, and woke up to like a crackhead giving him head, and then <laughs> it was it was like after he finished, she was like, "Now you owe me," so she basically just raped him, and then was like, "Now you owe me a twenty dollar rock."
2: <laughs> and stuff. It was, it was, it was, this you know, this now is crazy. Like, we were
4: fifteen-year-old
3: kids. You know what I mean? We weren't. Here, wait, Mike. You're in um, and out. You're in and out. This stuff is too good. I can't. I can't lose this. I said, funny
4: thing is, like we were 15 year kids. This was on, uh, you know. This is you're, you're 14, 15. fifteen. My my like, before, but the first crack I wasn't even
3: real. Man, fast. Um, hold on, Mike. Like, Mike. Mike. Why is the connection so bad all of a sudden? This is the um, good stuff. Um, you're I, killing me.
4: Hold on. Hold on. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. So the first shit I saw wasn't even real. Like my um my friend Fat Fred came to class and he had what they call a bomb would be like um five hundred to a thousand dollars worth of crack rocks already pre pre um pre cut and bagged up, and he had a whole bomb of just fake shit. <laughs> and he was like, Yo, we can sell this don't so just like what do we do with it? And I was like, Yo, we go we can ride the bus to my other grandmother's neighborhood. We can sell them all his breakdowns.
3: And we got money for starter jackets and Nikes. There it is. I didn't I didn't
4: know until years later, one of my homeboys who people hear me rap about and see me run around when they sleepy had actually made it and gave it to Fred. So we went to my other grandmother's neighborhood and sold it and got the hell out of there. And then we went about starter jackets and Nikes.
3: Did you know, any, did anybody ever see you again after that?
4: Not for a long time. I, <laughs> my other grandma wondered why they did this for like a year, but yeah, I didn't want I didn't want to get killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we that was I mean it was the eighties and the nineties. It was adventure. Like I advise anybody to know what it was like to go watch the movie Fresh. Fresh is one of my favorite movies yes. because if you were a kid growing up in the eighties and nineties, if you had some sense about yourself, you could mature very quickly. You know what I mean? And if you didn't. You know, it take you under.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and you describe it kind of like a happy, fun teenage adventure, not like some terrible debaucherous crack situation, which is nice to hear. Wasn't
4: you know? I mean, it wasn't in our mind. It was when you look at it in its totality as you got older. But when you're young, and that's just what the environment is becoming, you just adapt. You know what I mean? So, and you know, I survived it. So it was a crazy. Adventure. You know, I can remember graduating eighth grade and um, we all went to Tony's house and everybody just got liquored up and just started, like we were drinking like O.E. and fucking um, St. Ives who just drunk as fucking his brother was a Marine and his brother and the uh, couple of his Marine homeless came out and they all pulled like 12 gauge shotguns on us, and scared the shit out of us <laughs> and made us think we were getting robbed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, it was an adventure. It was funny now, but it's nothing that I want my kids to go You know, I mean, my kids have a radically different life, but I kind of sought out adventure, you know. I I wanted to to be in the mix. So I can – my uncle, I just told my dad, my dead uncle, God bless the dead, hey, and he was um, selling like four ways and nines, which is like a four and a half ounces or nine ounces, which is like eights and quarter keys. And I convinced him to start breaking them down to just ounces. And I convinced the homies at school who were buying quarter ounces apiece to start going in together. And I'm like, you paying two fifty a piece for a quarter ounce, y'all get the whole ounce for for you know eight hundred. Uncle was giving it to me for seven seven fifty. So I get guys to go in on the house and I make fifty or hundred bucks. I just have them meet us at the train station after school. So the crack era actually just taught me to be more of an entrepreneur to think more, to think something through or someone hadn't thought of. And, and, and cap, like, you hear people in Atlanta say no cap now. That's essentially means I'm not putting anything extra on it. Like, there ain't no cap on it. So, you know. There, mean, no, there isn't what on it? The there isn't what on
3: it?
4: No cap. No cap means I'm not putting anything extra on it. Like, if I charge you, if I charge you, you oh, know, I got if, I you. You, if I charge you, if I charge you 800 for the quarter pound, no cap. That's just what it is, you know, I ain't, I ain't put no extra on it myself, you know what I mean? So, that's what. That's back then, though, you was capping on everything. Everything you were selling, you was trying to put a little something on top of just to make you a little bit. You
3: know. Well, why else would you be selling crack if not to make a little extra cap, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, though, it, the, the perfect thing about this one is you didn't have to buy or change nothing because it was just a matter of hooking up a bunch of my young punk-ass friends with the money who didn't know a plug with my uncle who, who was a plug.
3: Now, did everybody always say plug in your day? Because in my day, nobody said plug; they said the connect. Nah, plug is the
4: newest thing. Plug is a, plug is the newer
3: thing. Everyone's saying plug. I'm like, what is this plug? I know the connect. But well, the
4: plug, you know, the plug is the person that plugs you into it. you know. No, I get it, Mike. But,
3: I get it. Yeah, but so
4: but you know, nah, nah. Plug is plug is, a, but plug is of the last ten or fifteen years, so it's old enough. It's
3: seasoned. Well, I'm old, so I I I missed this whole thing somehow in my in my sheltered heroin use on the Lower East Side. I don't know how, yeah. but I missed it. What got you out of the crack game? What what moved your entrepreneur life forward? Was it a, a bad story or a good story? What was the end? I, um, it's per-
4: the person who invented
3: trap music. Oh, trap music! Hold on, I'm losing you though. Again, get back to where you were. You sounded yeah, so a perfect. A friend
4: of mine, the person who invented trap music. Who's that? Um, yeah. Well, also Ti, King of
3: the South. Ti, yeah, you and Ti are yeah. counseling the ATL mayor these days, right?
4: Yeah, yep, and we're homies. And he, um, at his trap museum, he put up 2003, um, the release of uh, he, uh, the he, the release of his record. The first two things on that exhibit was Killer Mike, was his record, and Killer Mike um, attempts to make the first socially conscious trap music record. Like my first record, Monster was me exiting selling you know drugs and for me man it just I got to the point where I realized like I'm in my mid-20s now everybody I know who's catching a case is getting 12 15 and 20 years everybody with gold teeth is getting 20 years of better so I got right. the gold teeth out of my mouth <laughs> you know what I'm saying I got a legitimate job as well as I kept hustling but I was just every day it was like I was nerved my nerves were just shot you know, I just realized I'm not gonna last much longer in this shit. You know, I gotta get out of because I was smart enough to do what I had to do. I was making good money. I was saving and investing my money in music, but I was just my nerves were shot. I just didn't have, you know, it, it wasn't a teenage adventure for me anymore. Now it was I'm an adult, you know, and and I'm I'm responsible for me and three or four other guys. You know what I mean? And that just wasn't that just wasn't the move for me. Anymore.
3: You could you could see the consequences. Um. No. Now the question is: This is a stupid question, man. Uh, I loved uh, hip hop music. I love hip hop music. I never. Could you define trap music? Like, where does trap music come from?
4: Trap music is, is music that comes from the trap. I mean, you know, Ti would give you the ultimate definition, but for me, it was music that was representative of cocaine culture on a street level, uh, from a southern perspective. All right, and that's what Tip gave us, and that, and, and it's been. You know, it spread, and it went something to global and worldwide. But it was street music. It was drug-selling music. It was right there from the corner and from that perspective. And, um, you know, Tim did a brilliant job describing that world to the rest of the world.
3: And so did you. You know, and then and then you hooked up with Outkast from there? Yeah, well, I, yeah, Monster was on Outcast label. I did, you
4: know. Um, but Outkast, they... they um, You know they're they're great artists, and a lot of times great artists. Unless you have a unless you like, Rockefeller is built off the raps of Jay Z, but but unless you have a Kareem and Dane, you know from a business perspective, it doesn't grow into the force that that it grew into. So Outkast were phenomenal artists, but from the record company side, it never turned into what it what what it could have been, you know, because just just that force wasn't there. So I kind of like you know I went stagnant for a few years, and I went to the underground. And I kind of stayed with music. I stayed with music, but I, I returned to the mentality of a drug dealer of, like, every day I have to be about my grind. I can't sit back and depend on the record company or depend on my friends who are other artists, you know. I have to get rich independently. And that's where, you know, grind time, rap gang, bang, 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 bang and I pledge allegiance to the grind. And that's where that run came from. You know, it came from me marrying, you know, the hustle and grind that I had while I was in the streets with, with rap music and saying, I want to make this work.
3: And you always loved that music, though, right? Even when you were hustling around and you were a kid buying starter jackets and Nikes, did you love hip-hop?
4: Oh um, man, I love hip hop, and in particular, I love East Coast hip hop. You know, so I was that kid that was running around by Star of jackets, listening to Gangstar, You know, listening yeah. to Yeah, Wu Click, listening to Wu Tang Clan. You know what I'm saying? Uh, listening to uh, Brand Nubian. Yeah, um, Out West, Far Side, Hieroglyphics. Though.
3: That was my yeah. time. You're so talking. So this, time. You're speaking my language here, Killer Mike. This yeah. is that was my favorite I mean, stuff. Yeah, and
4: as well as I, I love the southern stuff too. I still was u g k you know, I still was, I still was, you know, A-Ball and MJG, you know, I still was Luke and the 2 Live Crew. Like, I still love this other stuff, but I really had an ear and a, and a warrant to be involved in, you know, East Coast hip-hop. And so I, I was, I was listening to a lot of, you know, I was driving a, a, a 98, you know, on on True true Vose, when I was playing, you know, Usain Clan
3: Right, amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I know you <clears throat> from Katz's, and um, and you love cats, obviously, because I've seen you there do a do billion love, do it. times. And you love Lenny, and Lenny is one of my favorite people at Cats.
4: Lenny is my man, man. We talk baseball. Lenny's one of the best human beings. You know what I'm saying? I've met in New York, man. Me and my wife got a lot of love for the brother.
3: Well, you have to know, Lenny. Lenny's not as great as you think. But I love him. You know what I'm saying? He's great to me. Of course he is. Lenny used to come over to my house after work every day. Me and Lenny would smoke bong hits after work every day. And Lenny would be like, Dave, your bong is way too filthy. And he would take me to the head shop to buy, like, bong cleaner and a brush. And the two of us would be scrubbing the bong in my kitchen sink together. And, uh, and we Never
4: liked smoking out glass, man I've never been into it
3: Neither man. did Lenny Lenny hated that shit But I made him take bong hits anyway And then he would, he would roll the blunts He would roll the blunts yeah. And I would pack the bong hits And we had a beautiful, a beautiful run Until I got sober Yeah, um, yeah I, love, I, love, I love Lenny <laughs> But when you're there yeah, You're the most uh, humble, cats, regular who the, the highest profile And I think that says a lot about who you are And, uh, and I love that about you and uh, and Thank you're also you. very cool with the people, and, and that's really beautiful, too. Uh, it shows that you don't forget where you come from. And and, uh, and I really became aware of you during this last presidential election when you hooked up with the great Jewish candidate, Bernie Sanders.
4: Yes, yeah, Senator Bernard Sanders, absolutely. And that's how
3: right. did you hook up with him?
4: Um, there was a DJ in his campaign that when people asking.
3: Hold on, hold on, I'm losing you, campaign. I'm losing you.
4: There was, a, there was a DJ in his campaign when asked who were the the, um, rappers in particular in the South that could help him garner some followership and people pay him some attention. And I was suggested. And in spite of my name being Killer Mike, he listened to my message. You know, he saw my words were true and gave me an opportunity to essentially be a target for him. And um, I developed a friendship with him, talked to him a couple times a month, um, have helped push local initiatives based on his national campaign, have helped push local... um, Local um, politicians that were supported by him got, got you know got some folks elected. Other people did, but um, I, re- I really haven't you know have have enjoyed befriending and being a mentor about senator. And one of the things that impressed me about his platform was him just initially saying, "Hey, marijuana shouldn't be on the Schedule One drug." You know, to elect the president, my first one of my first duties will be to take that off. You know, I think a lot of times we clap and applaud other people. Um, for being progressive because of skin color or because of political party and things of that nature, but if their policy isn't truly progressive, like what's easier for a president to do um, by executive order than just simply taking marijuana off the schedule one narcotics list and saving thousands of people in arrest records and selling these going to fuck up the rest a lot, right? You know, I just thought that that was so simple to be done. You know, I thought, I thought honestly that if it, you know, that, that's something Obama should have done, and you know, I, and, I, and I get a little perturbed thinking that he did. And that's not me trying to rain down, you know, heavy criticism on them. It's just saying if something is easy to do, you just do it, you know. And then at this point, everyone knows marijuana is far less harmful than even alcohol. And the of fact course. that we still are, we still are going back and forth about decriminalizing for recreational use is rather stupid to me. And it shows that as a people, we aren't demanding more of our politicians and we aren't demanding what we truly want.
3: Right. And, and when you would hang out with... Uh... Senator Sanders, did it Did it surprise you that you guys got along so well, or it was just like, whatever? Well,
4: it, it was just like, whatever for me. He surprised me how candid he was and how sharp he was. You know, well, he's was
3: a Jewish old guy, old guy from Brooklyn, Jewish. man. That's candid. Exactly, that's, that's, that's born bread. I got
4: introduced to him as a senator from Vermont, and then I learned, oh, man, this guy's from Brooklyn, you know what I mean? And he was in Chicago fighting for the civil rights of people who look like me, and he got locked up for it. That's when I really got to understand how feisty he is. You know, he got old, oh, got still has a wicked jump shot and moves around a couple miles a day. <laughs> you know, so he's sharp as a knife. And uh, again, I just, I just, I'm, I'm still impressed by the senator. And, 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 you know, I don't know if he's going to run again, but if he runs again, I'll be right there on this side pushing the work like hell for
3: him. You don't think he's too old to do it again?
4: No, 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 absolutely not. So, I mean, Reagan was a very old president.
3: You he know, was you too know? old, Mike. Reagan was too yeah, no, old. He lost he his mind in office.
4: <clears> he, he was, but, but but if we if we can trust that idiot, there's no way we can't trust the guy who's 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 sharp. You know what I mean? Like Sanders is sharp. When you listen to him, when you talk to him, he, he, when he's in, when he, when you're engaging with, he's sharp. You know, so you know his his body might not be as quick as it was 20 years ago, but again, he still does a couple miles a day and has a better jump shot than you or me, oh, and def- his mind is still sharp as a knife. So I definitely am still hope.
3: No, I remember when I, when I heard him in the debate, I was just like, well, I mean, my, I'm Jewish and my family always told me there would never be a Jewish president because even though New York is very Jewish and, and Los Angeles is very Jewish, the country is not very Jewish. It's 2% or yeah, something. Yeah,
4: don't, don't forget South Florida, though. You got Oh, yeah, love. our oh, Jewish
3: people. Salary. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The, the Southern love. New York, the retiree yeah. the retiree <laughs> nation. When you put uh, this Run the Jewels together, how did that happen? What was the beginning of that?
4: Well, Al and I did um, an album called Rap Music first. That was my solo record. He produced the whole record. LP. He was featured on there. Yeah, he was featured on there. We went on a couple of records together. And then, shortly after, we toured together. Once we toured together, kids that would come to see me, come to see him, you know, would give both of us love, but the same kids... At some point, when we would do our records we had together, we would just go batshit crazy. And that's when we realized, oh shit, we're onto something. And after that tour, we just, L had to turn in a mixtape, um, I think to Fat Possum or something. And he writes a little slower just as a solo artist, but he was like, yo, and I was just tape. Um, I got a deadline. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna come do it with you. So I wrote, I did the tape with him. We did like six records. Our partners were like, yo, y'all crazy? if Y'all don't make this whole record? We made their whole record. Two of them, one of the one, jumped off. And after that, it was like, yo, this is a group. We're mashing. And if we're going to be a group, we got to be a group like EPMD, like OutKast. We got to make four, you know, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, you know, classic records or we're not a group. So we set on our Zeppelin quest for one, two, three, and four.
3: That's awesome. And how did this... uh? Crazy Meow the jewels thing come out because I don't know if everybody know knows.
4: L put it up as a joke, you know what I mean, and someone took the joke seriously and they put a they put a, a group a crowd fund together to to fund some charities that were against police brutality and that were for paying for lawyers for people who protest and a bunch of dope producers who probably should have made a dope one of the jewels album made Meow the and it and it, it has helped a lot of people.
3: And there's no words; it's just meowing. It's just cats? No,
4: nah, no, nah, there are words. There are words that people make beats out of cats now. Huh?
3: Is it cool? I have to listen to it. I just read about it. Is it cool? Well,
4: I don't like cats, so you know, I've only listened to it
3: twice. <laughs> Why did you listen to it the second time?
4: Because I was stoned. There it is. Right <laughs> like,
3: the first time, for curiosity, the second
4: time, I was just like, let me see if this will sound different from stoned.
3: now i Now, I'm, I'm a crazy Knicks fan. Okay, and uh, which is sad, which is not an easy thing to be in this day and
4: age. Uh, in the 90s, though, you guys were like, you guys had Kenny 30, I'm 35, that stars, you got to, oh, you guys were, i Stars,
3: Uncle Oh, was yeah. yeah. Oh, when I was a kid, it was good times, you know, but we never made it all the way. And it's tough to be uh, a sportsman, you know, a crazy sportsman when your team is not performing the way you'd like. And I think yeah, you I can. You can tell we, it, I'm an Atlanta fan. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think you can relate. Um, yeah. And you got involved, though. You're you're heavily involved with the Hawks. You have one of yep. your, your barbershops setting up in the arena, right?
4: Yeah, in Safe Farm Arena, we have one of the best views of the building. Um, so if you pay thousands of dollars for the suites that the rich guys stand in and look down on the court, my barbershop is is essentially the same thing. It's just a barbershop. So you can buy the $40, 50 dollar seats and just come hang out in my barbershop all game and watch it. Um, it's the swag shop, the Shade and Room Shop. We're a barbershop, but we're also a store at masquerading as a barbershop. So you can pick up a bunch of cool shit, whether it's caps and jerseys that are um, collabs with heavy feels, towels, brushes, personal care for men, you know, beard, oil, uh, pomade, or Wayne Breeze, you know, du stuff like that. And we're about to have some other cool shit like jewelry and stick come I in. So, you know, it's really a dope store masquerading as a barbershop. It's a dope barbershop masquerading as a store. So come in and check us out, man. And um uh, well, we want to be in more arenas than our goals, to have hundred and fifty stores nationwide. So we're looking at New York and LA next. We're looking at Houston, Louisiana, um, the Wells, Louisiana, and a bunch of other places in between.
3: Nice. Have you heard of this uh this ice cream guy in uh the Lower East Side called Mikey Likes It?
4: I've heard Mikey likes it, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard I've not had the ice
3: cream. I haven't I, had I, the I, ice cream I, I, either. Mikey's
4: I'm in New York, so I got gotta stop through
3: He's a cool guy, and he's trying to come up with some kind of arena basketball plan, and I'm doing some weird collaboration with him, so I know he would love yep. to meet you. Um, okay, i up. What was I going to ask you? Um, oh, yeah, I mean, you came up in in Atlanta. You, you obviously got your start doing this crazy stuff, you know, selling crack and, and learning business and, and, you know, being around criminality, criminality. and now— yeah,
4: it was- I watched The Goodfellas last night and thought about my childhood. It was just crazy. When Henry said, all I would have wanted to be was a gangster yeah. and get a chance to work for Paul, like Fasty, who's a fellow prisoner. I like Princeton priestly dogs, but Fasty was a guy from my rival neighborhood who was older than me, but he was a big dark-skinned guy. Um, he wore Rolex collar polo, you know, priest guest jeans. Like he dressed like a, he dressed honestly like just like an upstanding, Business guy, right? But the guy, he was a crack king, king He owned and owned houses and barbershops and towing companies, and really helped me understand that. The, you know, he was like one of the, the the influences for Black Power, White Powder, who taught me that this criminal money that you're making, you can turn into a legitimate business. He's a big part of the reason I went into barbershops and things of that nature, and he's a he's a personal hero of mine.
3: So, so you thought? Yeah, did I, you see I'm, yourself in Goodfellas when you watched Goodfellas? You were like, you were the young black uh, Atlanta '80s '90s Henry Hill type who was. You yeah, I'm not a rat. You know what I mean? You're not I'm a rat, nor a, not a, a terrible a, drug addict.
4: Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. When I, when I got old enough to realize that I might tell, I ain't. It, 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 you know what I mean? But yeah, Henry turned out to be a rat. But early Henry, like. The kid that was like, yo, like I like school and shit. I actually did got good grades, but after school I was like, yo, fuck this shit. I'm I'm going to the pool hall. Like I'm trying to hang out or I'm going to Steve's barbershop to hang out. Like I wanted to be where the action was. You know what I mean?
3: Right. Uh does it blow your mind that you're counseling the mayor, that you have a shop set up at the Atlanta Hawks arena, that you're counseling a uh, presidential uh candidate. Is it just blow you away?
4: It does, man. Like, I, I, I walk, you know, I live in a house down there. There's a gate in front of my house, you know. And I walk my garbage down to the end of the driveway just like Tony Soprano. And I turn around and I look at this <laughs> big-ass house with gate in front of this right. shit And I just I just thank my ancestors, you know. I thank God. just like, wow, this is amazing. Because, you know, I I, I always imagined that I would blow up, you know, whatever that means when you're 15 years old. But I didn't know that I'd be, you know, I didn't know that my words would be instrumental in getting a mayor elected, you know. Like, Cuz Lightyear has a song called Chicken Talk, and I'm rapping on it with him. You know, Cuz Lightyear has a brand-new album out called Blue Slime. Y'all should check it out. But um, I say, you know, who, uh, what what other, what other niggas you know um, get males elected It still got a brick on this neck. So, You know what I mean? I got a one-kilo Nike charm. Like, that charm is made because I fell in love with that statue in art class. So my influences are... Are from everywhere, but I didn't. I didn't think I'd be advising a presidential candidate. I didn't think I'd get a mayor elected. I didn't. I didn't think I have a hot ass wife with green eyes and red hair. You know, but you know, I just I always knew I liked girls that were redheads with freckles with great rats. So God kind of gave me everything I ever wanted. So I, I'm very careful to be thankful for it and to remain humble. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully, you know, come up, let my imagination come up with new things to want. Like I never thought I'd be in the arena with my barber shop, so I never thought I'd stand. You know, like, we announced to have a Netflix show coming January 18th. We announced that
3: today. Trigger I, warning. I was, I was about to bring that up. And, and like, like, that's your yeah. show. And it looks crazy yeah. and really funny. Is it funny?
4: It is funny. It, it, it is funny. It is challenging. It is crazy. It does make you think what And that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? So um, I, hope that, I, I hope and pray that we're blessed with a season two. And it's going to be even batshit crazy and funnier.
3: Right on. I love that, and uh, and I'm so grateful that you uh, called in. That's so cool. And I just listened to this song, Nobody Speak Today, this DJ Shadow track. That shit is crazy. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah,
4: thank you, man. Oh, man, I was, talked about smoking Woolies with Snoopy. I remember being 15 years old, um, being in a strip club, like sneaking in a strip club with my homie. And um, at that time, a lot of guys from Miami were and out of Atlanta. They had brought, like, wools to Atlanta, like, putting coke in your blood. I got slipped a wool uh, and my heart just went crazy. The
3: like, woolly you know. is, a, is a joint laced with coke, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. I rapped about it. A lot I rapped about smoking a woolly with Snoopy. But that that is something that comes, like, to Atlanta out of Miami. And But uh, God slipped me a wool in the club, and I remember having to call my mom. I'm 15. At this point, my mom's only 31. Because my mom's 16 years older than me. And I'm telling my mom, like, yo, somebody slipped me something. Like, I think I'm to die. My heart is going. So she literally has to talk me to, you know, talk me through going to a convenience store, get her some milk and some bread, eating it, (laughs) get her my heart system to calm down. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, and I love her and I bitch the shit out of her because not every kid is blessed with a mother who's a fucking G. And I was, you know what I mean?
3: And she so was she, like, Mike, she, you obviously just smoked a woolly. All you need to go is to is the convenience store and have some bread and milk, and everything will be and chill. That's, that's
4: exactly what she, she was like. Hey, nigga, somebody slipped you a wool. <laughs> and, yeah. and she told my homie, yo, don't no, get him like this. Don't get him a port of milk. Have him drink some milk. Have him eat some bread. Like, dude, his heart rate slow down. You know what I'm saying, so you won't be all panicked, and sweating, and shit. But
3: yeah, <laughs> I promise you, yeah. my mother, my mother wouldn't have been like, David, that must have been a wooly you were puffing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but that's awesome, man. And um, and please be in touch. I, you know, like I want to respect the time that you guys gave me, and uh, and I'm so happy you called in, and uh, I can't wait to see you yeah. up at the deli again. Man, I, I'll
4: be there soon. I apologize for um for for being late. It was just Atlanta traffic crazy, so it took me longer to get to get settled. And I thought but I love I love you guys, man, up at Cat Bay. You and you all are great to me always. South hat Joe last time, I was in there, so I'll be back in there again. so me and Shell, come. We're just waiting waiting for it to get a little warmer. It's been cold as shit on the East Coast, man. We
3: were no were and and also the Dopey nation Loves you too. Like I mentioned you a couple times early on, and I got email after email. Just when's Mike gonna come on? When's Killer Mike? When's Killer Mike? So this crowd really are big fans. So uh, just know that you're loved by the Dopey Nation as well. I got
4: a lot of love for man. I I, I, you know for for all my people out there, for my stoners and whatnot, for all my people who are battling and fighting with addiction every day. You know my love and support with you. You know for the for the soldier you guys lost, man. My love and respect. Yeah. And I'm just saying, you know, let's keep each other safe out there. You know, if if you're if you're needling, let's make sure we're clean. You know, if you're partnering with somebody and you guys are you guys are getting getting high together, you know, let's make sure we're looking out for each other and just try to protect us. You know, you can't protect people from themselves all the way, but we can make sure people survive, you know, the experience. So, so let's just try to do more of that out there.
3: Right on, Mike. Thank you so much, man. All right, love and respect, eh. You too, Mike. Be easy, man. Later. So there he was, the great Killer Mike. Um, I bet you Bernie Sanders called Killer Mike a mensch. And this guy's definitely a mensch. He's always looking out. He's uh, always helping out in the community, coming through on Dopey. I love that. And there was a bunch of stuff that I totally forgot to ask him about. He wrote this song called Crown or The Crown where he talks about selling crack to a pregnant woman. I wanted to ask him about that. I wanted to ask him about... uh, He did a song with the Muppets. I wanted to ask him about that. But maybe one day we'll get Killer Mike back on Dopey. And he could even do some sort of Dopey freestyle, which I would love. Now we're going to change gears and go from uh, rap, hip-hop, trap, superstar, crack dealer, to original Dopey guy Uh, fucking... I'm talking about in the first... 30 episodes. I want to say this guy came on. He was Chris's friend, Ted's friend, DJ, also known as Don. He told a story about stealing a thousand Vicodins. He came on in my apartment on the Lower East Side. He was on methadone when he came on. And um, he had crazy stories. So uh, here we go. Here he is. Uh, We might have called him DJ, but his name is Don. Uh, and welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Dave? Glad to be back on, man. It's been a million years. I mean, it was uh, it was literally probably just about three years ago coming up, right, that you were on. I think it was in like February or something or March. Well, do you remember when it was on?
1: Yeah, vaguely. I remember walking to or taking the subway to your house and having trouble finding it and it was cold it was really cold and um yeah i actually i i re-listened to that edition um i kind of go in and out with with listening to the show as uh as terrible as that is to admit i love the show and i love uh you and you know i loved chris and love chris and um you know but i re-listened to the episode that we did and um yeah, it was a lot of fun and it seemed like uh it seemed like a lifetime ago but yeah, about 3 years ago I think is is, is when it was. Um last time I was on which since then um you know you kept it going and you um had uh had had a large um growth and following and um you're doing doing
3: awesome stuff, man. I know you're helping a lot of people. Well, so it's an honor to be on. I appreciate that. It's it's funny to me like uh Helping people is definitely like the side effect of doing Dopey. Like Dopey is about like having a good time, trying, like it's my dream of having a show. It's trying to be funny. It's trying to be entertaining. And if people get helped, it's like a side effect. It's like, uh, it's like if people like grow hair from like using some sort of fertility drug or something. It's a good side effect that people get help from Dopey. But when you were on Dopey three years ago, you were on methadone you were living in manhattan and uh and, and chris was like chris was always like we got to get that guy back on he, his do- his dopey stories are so crazy and i was like well ask him to come back on and i know chris hit you up here and there and you were just out there right
1: yeah yeah man it's been it's been a uh, it's been a long few years uh, to say the least and actually um a couple of days before Chris died, he had actually sent me a Facebook um, message asking, you know, mentioning wanting to get me back on, and I didn't end up responding until until after I found out. Um, and uh, but but yeah, it's I've been out there, man. I'm happy to say that I'm you know I've come back around. Um, you know, I, I think I've definitely done enough uh, d- enough research, um, and finally, kind of uh, committing really for the first time. I mean, I've been I've been um, in and out of treatment since I was seventeen, and I'm thirty years old. Right. Um, you know, so th- these are not new concepts as far as AA is concerned. Um, but to be honest, I just. Um, you know, I was never, I've never been willing to, uh, to do what I was told in the rooms. I would go to meetings and I would, you know, come late and leave early and, um, you know, socialize and, and thought that there were definitely some interesting concepts. But as far as working steps or doing service work, those were all things that I thought, um,
4: or for
3: other people um, right right and, we're optional, but before you know, we even get to the solution i want like yeah. I want to really lay this out because um like I think that since chris died, like we've had a bunch of like people on with long term sobriety, and we 've obviously had a shitload of drug addicts on, but you 're fresh from the war, and I, I would like you to just tell. You know, your qualification, a little bit about your qualification, like what kind of drug, ad, obviously we're all just drug addicts, but I know the Dopey Nation that's listening, a bunch of them are using and a bunch of them are like, who the fuck is this guy and what's his deal, you know, so describe, describe what kind of stuff you were, you were getting yourself involved in, like what, what are you coming out of, you know, kind of thing.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, so, so three years ago when I was on the show, I was on methadone, and I was uh, I was stable. Um, I was in a relationship. I, I'm, I'm in Michigan now, and I'm originally from Michigan. Um, in 2012, I had moved out to New York, um, um, tried the old geographic, um, and it had actually been in treatment for six months at Narconon, which is a Scientology rehab. Yeah, you and, talked uh, about that
3: on Dopey.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. So, so I was, I was there and, um, you know, like I mentioned, I think just being six months institutionalized, doing anything, um, you know, being away from drugs, I, I got, I got a little bit better. Um, but it didn't, it didn't take the, the Scientology practices and all that. Um, you know, I, I dropped them very quickly and I, I was getting high well the way that it worked there was if if you weren't an alcoholic like if your if your main thing wasn't booze, they said that you could you could drink and and i i am a, an opiate addict um and then, as things have progressed, um, opiate or heroin and and uh, cocaine together um, is my drug of choice. And I've also, in the last couple of years, started to dabble with meth, which is a whole nother animal. Yeah. Um, and um, so, anyways, um, so yeah. So three years ago, I was in a relationship um, with this girl that I'd. So I had moved out to Manhattan, strung out, um, and got on methadone and that stabilized me and then i very quickly met a girl who kind of took me in um you know she had her life together and she had an apartment and um so we got together and things were okay for a while um and and i was still drinking and taking methadone but i was going to meetings um anyways for god knows what reason um
3: I well, think why, do you just, think, why do you think you were going to meetings if you were drinking and taking methadone? Did you talk about drinking and taking methadone at the meetings?
1: No, I didn't talk about the drinking part. I did talk—well, so, yeah, I guess I talked about it with, with some people. I did actually have a sponsor that was more just like a friend who um, was an older guy who'd been around for a while and um, had, you know, lived a crazy life. and So I would be honest with him.
3: That wasn't—was um, that that guy, Keith?
1: No, that was um, that was Ned Van Zant, um, this guy who, he, yeah, because you and I knew some of the same people. We actually went to a meeting. Was it the Atlantic
0: Group that we went to, or we went
3: to? No, a I don't meeting think. Meeting yeah, we went to R- RFI, I think. Or I don't remember okay. even going into a meeting with you. I just knew this guy who was like this crazy guitar player who played with Richard Hell in the 80s or the 70s, and he was this punk rock guitar player. And I met him, and he was describing you to me you know, I, I had never met you. It was before we did dopey. It was before I had met you, and he just kept describing you as this incredibly handsome waiter that worked at Nobu. <laughs> and then when you oh, mentioned, and that you were was a heroin addict, and then when you had mentioned to me that you were this waiter at Nobu, I was like, "Holy shit! This is the handsome waiter that Keith keeps talking about." <laughs>
1: you put two and two together. Honestly, I don't even remember um, anyone named Keith. I, I I did meet some incredible people. I think to answer your your question, I think I was going to meetings because I, although I sort of had it together somewhat, I still felt very lost. And from a young age going to meetings being forced to through treatment and um, somehow avoided legal ramifications, but I always liked meetings because of, because of the people, um, whether I was getting high or not. I mean, I've actually done a, a lead before while I was while I was high on Ponzi <laughs> Cotton back when I was like 18, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I've always liked the meetings. I've always liked the, the, the camaraderie, the fellowship. Well, there are um, people.
3: You get, know, there are people that have been through exactly yeah. what we've been through, and you go there and you're like, You know, you live your life, your normal life, and then you go to a meeting and it's like, holy shit, there's my secret life. These are my people in essence. No matter, you know, no matter how much you might relate to one or another, there's going to be somebody there who's done the stupid shit that we've done or that you've done or that I've done, whatever. Right. Yeah,
1: no doubt. No doubt. And... and I think um, I think just the wide spectrum too. I mean, I, I always say the coolest people I've ever met have been in the program, and, and that, I think that's definitely true. Um, you know, the ability to to keep it real and and relate, and there's a lot to be said for it. And so, um, so what happened with me was um, I was I was dabbling. You know, dating this girl, and we had this. Social life, and we were going out a lot and drinking, and um, and I was on methadone. I was kind of keeping it together, and then um, my dad passed away. Mm. Um, he actually took his life. Um, oh my god! Whole mother. Yeah, he. Um, so he had some substance stuff as well. He always he was always a big drinker, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I don't. As they say, nobody can. Um, can can characterize someone else as alcoholic. I mean, you have to do that yourself. But he he definitely had alcoholic tendencies, and he was a stockbroker. Um, and in two thousand eight, like lost everything basically. And you know, I, I grew up in in a suburb of Detroit called Gross Point. That's very affluent, and um, it's all about. You know how big your house is, and you know your job, and all this stuff. So, you know, we had a, we had a couple cottages, and and all this stuff. So we, you know, growing up, I had everything, and I think his identity was was tied to that in a lot of ways. And so, when he couldn't do what he wanted to financially, and wound up losing our cottages and, and our our house. Um, he he just became very hopeless, and and uh, him and my mom were having issues. They split up, and she got cancer shortly thereafter.
3: Oh my God, Don! He, yeah, it was it
1: was a and, and I was in New York at the time. I just moved out to New York when my mom got cancer, um, and he just couldn't he just couldn't handle it. You know, he came from an era where you know um, they they don't talk about what's going on. You don't ask for help. Um, so he was. You know, throughout the years, he would he would he would try. He was you're to be understanding as far as like the AA stuff and the the rehabs and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, I remember on many occasions, him just saying, you know, why can't you just stop? Right and you know and I, I would look at him and you know I didn't have an answer for him because I, I, I couldn't you know and um, and so anyways um, he wound up taking his life in 2014 and I remember I, I my girlfriend my ex-girlfriend and I we, we flew into um, Detroit for the funeral and I had the honor of doing the eulogy which was um, which was really cool. He comes from a, a seven sisters and two brothers, and I've got like thirty cousins, and you know everybody that I've ever known my whole life showed up at the funeral. I mean, it was really it was really touching. and to be able to kind of show up and and do the eulogy was really um, probably one of my proudest moments um, in in my short life thus far. But anyways,
3: and you were uh, sober for that? Or you were just on the method. You know,
1: I was on methadone, and, and I was drinking. Um, did you get and, drunk to you know, do the
3: I, eulogy, or did, what What was that like? Did you have to, like, you know, did you drink so to for do it?
1: the eulogy, I actually, what I wound up doing, actually, and I, I, I just remembered this, my mom has always been prescribed to... Um, to Klonopin and Xanax, different benzos. And I remember getting into her stash. Um, so I was, I was taking those to, to, uh, to kind of cope. And looking back, you know, it sort of makes sense because I was so numb. You know, I was right. so, it was all a blur and it was just so, I was just in shock. You know, with that, when something like that happens, um, it just, um, it, it, I just I couldn't face reality and, and and you know I've been I've been stuffing my feelings and avoiding reality my whole life also so that was you know it sort of comes second nature but so anyways I got back to New York and that's when it hit me um, that you know my dad was gone and and you know there was a lot of guilt involved you know he spent a lot of money in treatment over the years and um, you know I just you know, could not stay sober and kept going to treatment and kept, you know, stealing and kept getting in trouble. And so, you know, there was definitely some guilt involved. Ultimately, I know that, um, you know, the best way that I can kind of deal with that now is to stay sober and try and make them proud, et But, so I get back to New York, and literally the second day I'm back, I just worked a shift. I was still working at Nobu at the time. I just worked a shift, and my girlfriend and I were living in Hell's Kitchen. And I remember, like like it was yesterday, we lived on 51st and 9th Avenue, right on the corner, right above this restaurant. And mm-hmm. I'm going up into my building, and sitting right outside of it is this kid sitting there with a sign that says, um, HIV positive. And he's on the nod. He's like blatantly on dope. And um, and that was like my, that was like a sign. It was sort of, it was a crossroads. It was kind of like, you know, I can just walk into my apartment and ignore this guy or, you know, do what I did, which was like, yo, you know, what's good? Uh, you know, I'll buy you one. Let's go. And that's what I did. And it turned out that my uh the dude his name was george he's this puerto rican guy who i became very close with uh, right. he became like my best friend he he lived right over on 55th between 10th and 11th so literally like a six minute walk to his place and you know he always had uptown and downtown is what we call it. i've heard i've heard don't to so many things boy and girl you know um all the but 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 with him it was uptown and downtown and I gotten into you know i had been the last time I'd been using it was it was speedballs and so that's what I got into again and um, it, it, it got bad quick um, so this was this was in August of 2014. Did
3: he have any um, fancy names for speedballs or did he just say speedballs Did he call it speedballs or was he like crosstown no, what did no. he
1: he would just call it uptown and downtown. I'd, I'd say, hey, you know, I'd text him, you know, hey, do you have both, you know? And he, he always did, because he, um, he used it himself. And um, I hope he's still alive. He had, like, this terrible breathing condition. He would, he would do his dope before he cut it, and he would, he would have to go to the hospital, like, on a regular basis, because his breathing would stop. And I can't even I can't even tell you the amount of times that I went up and met him at the hospital um, to cop. Um, he would he would always be laid up at the I forget the hospital name. It's the one up at like 59th between like eighth um, and ninth.
3: It's like St. Um, Luke's.
1: No, it's not St. Luke's. It's right across from um,
3: oh Roosevelt. Johnier. Roosevelt.
1: Roosevelt, yep, he would always be there in like the, the emergency. Because I detoxed
3: in, like in Roosevelt, area. I detoxed there yeah. once. It was some experimental detox. But he would bring his dope when he got taken in. How would yeah, that he'd work? Bring it with him. That's funny. I, I don't.
1: I don't exactly know. Um, I. I, I, I he just, he, his wife was kind of in on it, so she would either go and she would bring it up
0: to him, right. or
1: or I don't know exactly. But he was, he was, he was pretty big. I mean, he was the type of guy who always had it. Um, and some of the figures that he hung out with were definitely seemed like they were like gang related. I mean, he was an older guy, really nice. He had kids and stuff. Um, but he was definitely like he was he, he wasn't the plug, but he was he was right below it, um, you know, dealing to a lot of people and still the best cocaine I've ever um, had access to in my life.
3: Now, um, who is the could you help me with this? Because this is I, I mean, I'm old and I haven't done drugs in a little bit, you know, a little while. Nobody ever said plug when I was doing drugs. Nobody ever said that. I, what is the plug? I, I guess, what ex- what is exactly the plug? Think
1: of like plug in an outlet, and the plug would be like the the hook, the like hook the main, up, the
3: higher the up. Hook. Yeah, like
1: the yeah, exactly the hook. Yeah.
3: So the kid is never yeah, you've the never plug. Heard plug no, of course I've you've heard, heard it.
1: Hide on the lingo, man.
3: Don't no kidding, but I don't like it. Like <laughs> on these on these heroin memes, and they're all like, "When the plug, blah 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 blah." I think it's a good sign that I that I never use no. the word plug because it's like, yeah. But I bet you, four years ago, people were saying plug. I just. And he wasn't the plug. George wasn't the plug. It was George's plug that was the plug.
1: Yes, correct, correct. But he always was well, uh, well stashed, and it was, he was always on. You know, so I'd get off from a shift in Nobu and and go meet him at twelve thirty at night, and then try and go lay in bed with my you know my girlfriend, being you know all you know. I, I, I know that you you've shot cocaine before, have you not? I have. Yeah. So that, so trying to, trying to do that and then go and do anything normal, um, was, uh, was not easy. And that actually a few months ago, I was doing that while I was bartending and it was, um, It was quite torturous. I mean, just like the worst, you know, the worst feelings ever, like going to the bathroom and doing a shot and then coming back and trying to talk to people and certain drinks. It just, like, just doesn't work out very well. It's Uh, terrible.
3: But when you would would shoot coke, you wouldn't always shoot dope, too? You would sometimes just shoot the uh, coke?
1: Well, what I was doing then was I would shoot the coke and then do the dope after, but because I was on methadone, it didn't, the dope was not as effective
5: and I would always
1: overshoot the mark. So the Coke would always outweigh it. Right. And like I mentioned, the Coke was really good. Um, and so I would, I would, I could never, I could never get it right. I mean, even, even doing it multiple times a day. And for, for years, you know, I'd always overshoot the marks. I'd get, I'd get excited. I'd do the first shot. I'd be okay. And then immediately do another one. I mean, I'm the type where I'll get, you know whatever I get, and then do shot after shot after shot in succession until it's until it's gone. Which you know I imagine you know when you know intravenous cocaine users out there probably can relate to that, um, or crack smokers. I mean same sort of thing. It's like you just you know you get it in you and you can't stop till it's till it's all gone and all the money's gone and you know and uh, that's that's all she wrote. Um, whenever I would shoot so very-
3: coke, whenever I would shoot coke, it would make me. So uncomfortable that I would need the dope and as many pills as I could take immediately, because like the coke just yeah. it just made me so uncomfortable. Chris was like Chris was like he would get so uncomfortable too, but he lived for that ivy Coke. You know, he would never shut up about that ivy Coke, and I know before he died, he had gotten back to his ivy Coke. Um, it was all he wanted to do, and, and he still, when he would describe it, he would describe how much he hated it at the same time. Which right. is Which is funny. You know, it's just such it, misery.
1: It is, but you know what? It, it's funny because I've talked to other people, too, and I, I remember talking to Chris about that as well. And other people have been drawn back to using because of that allure of that Coke rush, which which it, it, next to the meth rush, which I experienced in, in New York a little bit, I, I kind of started to get into meth there um, until I couldn't find it anymore. Um, there's there's nothing like it. I mean, it, it's the ultimate, in, in my opinion. But then after 20 seconds, you, you, like you mentioned, you're so uncomfortable that it's, that that you then, or at least I would then do another shot to get that initial feeling to try and make the other feeling go away. But then it would compound on itself oh, yeah. to make you then more uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. it's just it's yeah. it's just a treacherous, yeah. um, you know, downward spiral. And so, you know, needless to say, um, I got started and I couldn't stop. And uh, my poor ex girlfriend Ashley, who. Um, you know, I still love, and actually, we didn't talk for a whole year, but we recently started talking again. Just, um, you know, just as friends, and you know, we were together for uh, about five years, living together, and had a dog, and you know, we're we're building a life together, and and that's that's something that I gave away, you know, because of my use, and and I know I've ex- I've shared with you before just how much I miss New York and how much I want to get back there, and. Um, You know, I I understand the importance of building a foundation here and getting getting all my ducks in a row before I do come back. But it is still my goal. But
3: anyways, um, poor Ashley, Ashley didn't know what she was getting herself into, right?
1: Dude, she did not. And the thing is, is I tried to be I tried to be honest with her from like the beginning. Like I remember (laughs) the. The morning I got on methadone, I so I moved to New York, strung out, and I didn't know where to get drugs. So I was going up to Harlem, and I'd gotten ripped off a couple times, and then I finally found this guy who had it, and then he wound up getting arrested. Like, I gave him my money one day, and he went out to go meet – So he was kind of a middleman type of thing. And the reason I know he didn't just rip me off is because I I wound up getting in touch with his girlfriend, and um, I went over to their – their apartment, and, and to, she was trying to prove it to me that he hadn't. been. So he either got arrested, or, or it was just a really elaborate con, which I, I suppose it could have been. But that was sort of the last straw, and I, I, I did some research into methadone, and so I was waiting to start. Like I had to go one day and give blood, and you know it takes a couple of days. Not always. I think at some clinics you can go and get started the same day. I know that you were. You were on it back in the day. I'll never forget your nine eleven story. nine yeah. eleven. <laughs> you had to get through and, and yeah. go dose, man. Yeah. You gotta get the dose. Gotta get the dose. Um, gotta get it. But um,
3: no, so. I mean, the funniest thing about the methadone clinic is that it's like it's like a joke because you're get you're getting on methadone because you can't afford to be on dope. Maybe you want to get clean. Maybe you can't handle the hustle. Maybe you don't have enough money. But the second they open the door into the clinic, it's like every dealer you've ever seen is in the clinic. You know what I mean? It's like the the clinic is like way more opportunity of scoring than your whole life times 10 outside the clinic. So it's like it's impossible. A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, there were
1: so many. I I was going to the clinic down on um, on, the, on Broadway Lafayette um, off that subway stop yeah, there. Yeah. And there's still people out there right the second right now around there looking for sticks as they call them. No, that yeah. was
3: my relapse, yeah. man. I came back from Los Angeles and um, and and I was with Linda. I was with my my you know partner now. And uh, and I was sober, and she was pregnant, and she had bought me the Nikki Six Diaries for Christmas that year, the Heroin Diaries. And I and I hadn't yeah. been off of I was still smoking weed. I hadn't been off of, of of you know dope or pills for a while. It was for a very short time. And I'm reading that fucking Nikki Six heroin diaries book. And, uh-huh. and I worked on you know I worked on Houston Street. And I get the the N train from Astoria to uh, Prince Street. And I'm walking down the street, and there's just a gaggle of Methodonians. You know, and I'm like I'm like, hmm, a gaggle of methadonians. I wonder what's going on. And I just hear, yo, sticks, sticks, sticks. And I was like, Oh, I love sticks. And I was like, I could buy a couple sticks. And I went up and I bought a couple two milligram you know, and most people say bars, you know, outside of Methadone, New York City. But uh, I was like, Yeah, I was like I was like, give me a couple sticks, man, and that was the beginning of the end for me, you know. But yeah. No shit. Oh, yeah. It was on sticks on fucking Prince Street from the the Methodonians from Broadway Lafayette. That's
1: so funny, man. Those were my people
3: I back then. You back. were probably and, uh, there. And I, and I, you were probably in the I was circle. probably
1: <laughs>
3: fucking there. <laughs> so funny. I was in
1: that crowd of Methodonians. I've never heard
4: that
3: term. That's so funny. Oh, dude. Methodonians. Uh, I mean, like, I think there's a documentary called The Methodonians, and uh, and okay. I really, I never saw it. I, I it's, it's like on my my list to see things. And I, I don't know if you ever, uh, if you ever heard a dopey episode with my friend Todd, but, um, Todd, Todd was like one of my best friends and I went to college with him and I used with him constantly. And, um, you know, we, we got on heroin together. We drove across the country a million times together. Todd actually died, uh, six weeks before Chris this summer. And, um, and, and, I,
1: yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah,
3: and me and Todd would wander around Lower Manhattan, and I would be like, "Dude, check it out!" And he'd be like, "What?" And I'd be like, "Those are Methedonians." And he'd be like, <laughs> "He'd be like, so?" And I'd go, "Come with me!" And we would start walking behind them, and that's when I started doing my methadone imitation because you would hear, you'd hear them go, you know. I don't wanna to piss today. I can't believe they're gonna make me piss if I don't get my take homes. I can't believe it. And Todd's just like Todd's just like, dude, what's wrong with you? I was like, dude, this is the funniest thing ever. Like, all I wanna do is like like we did a little segment on Dopey called the Methadone Minute, but like it involved me hanging out at the Methadone clinic for dopey and it just seemed like too risky for me to to do that at this point like what am i doing yeah. you know but it's yeah. still like the entertainment value of a Methodonian just telling about their day is fucking off right? the charts dude that
1: is so funny and i I appreciate the the enthusiasm I, I, that does sound like a, a you know I, I like the idea but i could see how that could go bad quickly um yeah you you never know what what what's going to happen in, in those situations with with you know those those people die. and and that's a very unique sector in that you know being in new york city being on on you hey, know Hey don
3: wait, wait 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 wait. Let me ask you something. The audio was yeah. really louder a minute ago. What happened?
1: It um maybe I wasn't talking to, I, I lit a cigarette. I'm smoking a cigarette out the window so maybe maybe I'm not talking to the phone well enough.
3: That's all right. Keep going. Um you were talking about the the unique circumstances of a Methodonian.
1: Well, of a methadonian in general, but I think in that that part of the country being in Manhattan, being so close to tourists from all over the world is is re- like the juxtaposition is so great that you have this this clinic with, you know, people and some of them, you know, are, some some people Methodon are trying to give get their lives together I'm not not, and I I was on it for years I'm not you know talking down to anyone but there's also people who are there who have no you know no um, they have they have no plan to really clean up and are just kind of going to be on methadone forever and trying to Trying to keep a uh, Xanax habit going and all this stuff, and it, it's just it, it is it's interesting and it's, it can be comical and it you know also really sad you know um, oh yeah but um you know but it, it takes what it takes and
2: and um, and so anyways just to get
1: back I'll I'll kind of finish off my story so I I, I burned everything down uh, my girlfriend kicked me out I wound up moving to Brooklyn um, with a dude that I'd gone to high school with, we got an apartment and I, I'm really good at like getting clean and kind of getting shit together. And then like after a couple weeks, once I've got another job because, you know, cause I lost the last one because of whatever, um, I then pick up again and, and, and throw it all away. But I'm usually pretty good at like last ditch kind of like pulling it together when I need to. And it's part of the reason why I've Kind of been been using as long as I have, um, but so I, I lasted in Brooklyn for a year, and then it got to the point where I hadn't my using was just out of control. I hadn't paid rent in a couple months, and literally a family friend that I um, met in AA actually when I was eighteen that I still talk to to this day um, flew out to New York, rented a car, and got me with all my shit and drove me back to Michigan. I mean that's and 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 he did it because he said if if I didn't do this you were going to be coming back to Michigan in a body bag and and you know the reality of of overdose and death i, I is 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 something that i've always thought you know i th- i think every addict thinks it's not going to be me you know i'm sure that that chris thought the same thing your friend todd i mean millions of people out there you know who overdose you know nobody thinks it's going to be them and then it is and um you know i was i was just so so lost and so you know it's just an outer space and and so i got back here and um let me ask you something before before
3: you before you finish that thought um was there any sort of like crash and burn bottom or were you just like skimming the bottom in brooklyn just still with the speed balls still with shooting coke were you still working like what was the actual end of it
1: so I've always, uh, yeah, the whole time I, I kept a job, um, because I've, I've served forever and, and, you know, had worked at Nobu, you know, with that on my resume, like I, there, a lot of restaurants would hire me and, you know, being in Manhattan that there's 10,000 restaurants that there was, you know, there were, there were plenty of, of bridges to burn. So I would, I was keeping jobs, but I was, I was spending all my money on drugs, um, I was getting fired with more frequency, so like the, the you know, my, my time at jobs was getting less and less, um, and I just, I was miserable. You know, I was suicidal, I was, I wanted so badly to be with my ex, and she was moving on, and um, you know, I was just a mess, and I just could not pull myself out, and um, you know, I was going, still going to the clinic and pissing dirty constantly and they were trying to get me to go to treatment and they were going to stop dosing me because I wasn't staying clean I mean at a certain point at the clinic even they say you know if you can't get it together you have to go to treatment and I didn't want to go I'd had a couple abscesses I mean just you know just awful um but that whole time I was trying to put out the you know the the facade that I had it together and um you know i can I can shower and comb my hair and put on some nice clothes, and even when I'm strung out look like I've got it together to a certain um you know a, to a certain extent um and that that also has been a reason why i've I've just stayed high for so long right you're um, a very you're
3: an accomplished bullshit artist that's for sure
1: yeah absolutely i mean years of practice and um You know you learn the tricks of the trade um but i just got tired and um and so i moved back to michigan i was fucking miserable um didn't want to be here wanted to be in new york felt like i had really failed and um i just was on methadone for a little while i I stopped using but then you know i I got a job here in michigan and um started right back at it And, and, and i was going you know to um Detroit where there was overdoses happening like daily and um, you know I would somehow acquired a car and was was driving to Detroit and like nodding out on the freeway and um, wound up getting pulled over got put in jail because I didn't have insurance and you know had syringes and drugs in the car that they, they in, the, in the center council that they didn't find. I mean I just kept getting like break after break after break and then finally Um, I was, I had just, it wasn't even anything that happened specifically. It was just like a series of really bad stuff. I was, I decided to go to treatment and to get off methadone. And, um, and so I went to Sacred Heart in April, this last April and stayed for 30 days and got off methadone and then, uh, moved out to Ann Arbor here uh, where I am currently, I moved out here afterwards, moved into a, a Dawn farm, three quarter house. Dawn farm is like the, the local treatment center out here. Um, and it's actually, yes, it's on a farm and you look after the animals and you make all your own food. And it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty exceptional treatment center. I went through it back in 2011. Um, and you're, you know, it's a longer term. So you're there for three months. So I, um, I went to their, their their transitional housing, and it turned out my my house manager was a guy that I used to get high with, and used to work with in Ann Arbor, and actually used to live with. and um, And he he uh, you know he helped kind of support me. And and I you know there was a lot of people still around. There's still a lot of people here that are clean and sober that were clean and sober back in 2011 when I lived here. or If they're not, they've they've come back. So. I, um, I had that built in support system, but coming off methadone, I was so sick. Like they yeah. brought me down eight, eight milligrams a day while I was in treatment. And then I w- was off for two days and then I did five days of sub but for 30 days afterwards,
0: and it, it literally got worse as time went on. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. There was a whole week where I felt
1: like I was like a 9-year-old man with with terrible arthritis like when they when they talk about it coming out of your bones I mean I, I experienced it and it was fucking awful.
3: What was your um, what was your highest dose that you came off of? Um when it, for,
1: this, I came off 120 milligrams when I went into Sacred Heart. I've been as high as like 160, right. but I was on 120 at Sacred Heart. So it's a pretty high dose, um, and I've been on it for five years, you know, so I, my body just didn't know what the fuck to do. I couldn't eat, you know, no appetite, but I kind of – somehow I got through it. I lasted a month um, until I got a job and started – and had money in my pocket and, and, um, and had a – means to, to get high and and uh, so I took a lift down to Detroit because my I didn't have my car and um, and started taking like daily lift lifts to Detroit and what I was doing is if I didn't have money I would book the lift driver and I would say listen um, if I give you a really nice tip Will you, like, you know, if I give you a $60 tip, will you give me $20 in cash back? Because the Lyft account was attached to my mom's credit card. Right. Which, uh, classic a, scam. You know, pretty s- classic scam. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm, I'm paying her back for that now, finally. But, um, but for the time, you know, it, uh, it, it, it you know, I accomplished what I needed to. But so very quickly, I got kicked out of transitional because I was using, this was in, um, this was this summer, this was like June and I was actually homeless for like four days. I was sleeping, I was sleeping outside of a church. Um, and then walking like sleeping outside of a church, downtown Ann Arbor, walking to the, um, the law library, getting high in the bathroom in the morning and then going to work. And I was working as a server. Um, and it only lasted, I think for four nights. Um, and then I, um,
2: what did I even do then? How did I? I don't know. Oh, I I got into another three-quarter
1: house through this buddy of, through this, this the guy who saved me from New York, he he foot the bill for this three-quarter house. But it I got in and, and it was one of these three-quarter houses where everyone was using. <laughs> and so now I, I kept using, but I had a, a roof over my head. But by this time, and by this time, I had gotten some connects in Ann Arbor, and. Was was back at it, you know, and, and was right back where I had been in New York, you know, a year and a half prior, where I was just waiting tables just to stay high, and I was fucking miserable, and um, and so it was around the summer that I started to go back to meetings and really giving things a shot, um, and had put a couple weeks together, and then um, about a month and a half ago, about five weeks ago. I had had two weeks clean, and I I had gotten this new restaurant job because I had lost the other one.
3: Wait, when um, was this?
1: And pardon?
3: This was when?
1: This was five weeks ago. So okay. I've got, I've got thirty three days clean today, and th- this was just before then. Um, and I had I had a couple I'd had a couple weeks when I wa- when I went into work, and this girl that I'd kind of been fooling around with a little bit had uh, was prescribed Xanax, mm. and we were like putting our. Our stuff away, and she like went into her purse and took one uh, and i was, and I asked her what it was I was like, you know what what's that and and she told me, and she wound up giving me gave giving me one, and so I took a full bar um and it was like nine thirty in the morning it was a brunch shift, and this place I was working does does a, a pretty big brunch crowd and um so basically after like a half hour, I was blacked out trying to wait on you know wait on these tables um, <laughs> yeah and you know I, and i know that you being a server you know i'm sure that you've done it high before it's it's not fun and and people were not happy because i kept forgetting their coffee and oh,
3: waiting and, tables and, uh, waiting tables on benzos is the worst that's like the worst drug oh to, i mean i think maybe waiting tables stoned is worse than waiting tables on benzos cuz you're paranoid when you you know what i mean cuz you're like do they know yeah. i'm high at least on benzos you're relaxed but they f- you forget everything though it's ridiculous
1: right you're right you're forgetting stuff but you're not worried about them finding out but people knew something was up and by the end of the shift my coworkers were like well, you know what the fuck is going on with you and i actually work with a few people in recovery who who knew? You know, who knew that i was on drugs and i claimed that i had that i had a migraine you know the classic excuse i just have a really bad migraine and I was supposed to work that night and they sent me home and that was the end of that job. So that was, that was five weeks ago. And, um, you know, that night I, I, you know, decided since i had already relapsed to, you know, to, uh, to get some heroin and some Coke, which I did. And then, um, and then that was the last time that I used. So the next day I went to a meeting and just got totally honest and, um, you know, got a sponsor shortly thereafter, a guy that, I've known for a while who, you know, is really into the book and got going on the steps. And, and I've been to at least a meeting every day since. Um, and, uh, you know, luckily I wasn't using like enough to where there was much of a physical withdrawal or anything. It was more just emotional. But, you know, after, after a little more than a month, I, uh, you know, I feel like a new person. And I got another, I got a new job, which um, somehow just, by the grace of God, this, this girl um, reached out to me through LinkedIn, and I'm actually doing, um, doing business development for this startup company, so something totally different um, that I'm enjoying, that I can take initiative and, and um, feel like I'm building something. And you're not,
3: you're not leaving um, the restaurant with cash.
1: Did that too, yes, I get paid once a month, Um, Which I started like the day after they got paid. So I haven't, I've been broke for, you know, three and a half weeks, which is also sort of been a godsend. Everything kind of fell into place. And, um, you know, it's just, it's all there for me to, to just, to just embrace, you know, Um, I'm my own worst enemy by far. And um, I just, I'm just trying to stay out of the way and just kind of let, let God uh take the wheel as they say, you know, as as corny as that that sounds, you know, it it really it makes a big difference. The prayer and the um, reaching out, trying to be of service. I've got a couple of commitments at the meetings and you know, it it's making a big difference. And so, you know, for anyone out there who, who is struggling, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for finding a meeting and going and and even if it's not to the whole group, just finding somebody there to to be honest with, and just you know tell them what's going on, and, and um, you know asking for help can be profound, and then and then letting that person help you. Um, totally. Because, you know the first the first week was definitely tough, but now you know, in all honesty, I, ha- I really haven't even thought about getting high for the last three weeks. You know? Why do you think? Well, um, Don,
3: why do you think that is?
1: I think well, partly, partly it, it, it's been I've been broke. I mean, so that's money is definitely a trigger. When I have money, it, it you know it's it's easy for me to justify thinking I can just do it once, which I've never gotten high once in my whole life. It always just starts that that cycle over again. Um, that being said, there has been a couple instances in the last month where I I have had the means to get high, but um, I think. I think, um, it's just the daily surrender and sort of, um, the, you know, the, the meetings certainly, um, because I, 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 even, even throughout all the years, you know, I've never been consistent with meetings. Like I do enjoy going, but I would go when I wanted to. And, and now I, I have meetings put in place that I go to every night. I've got commitments at three of them, you know, that's where all my people are. And, um, and so I, I think just surrendering, surrendering to, to the program, surrendering, surrendering to a higher power, um, it's just that, that sort of giving up. And
3: um, Well, giving up is, is critical. But let me ask you something. Let me ask you something that might offend you. Um, do you ever get worried that you're bullshitting yourself because you're such a bullshit artist? And you do, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know you that well, but I know that you've been around this thing for 13 years you know, actively, yeah. you know, undoing it every time you're doing it, picking up the lingo every time, you know, swearing yourself off. Like, at some point, I mean, and you bullshit yourself. You know what I mean? That's, Absolutely. And, and that's scary, isn't it?
1: it? It is, you know. I mean, and and on some level, I may
3: very well be bullshitting myself, I think. Well, I'm not saying, no, dude, I'm not saying you're bullshitting yourself. I'm saying, like, you, you sound great. And, like, when I talked to you the other day, and you were talking about, you know, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but, like, you know, I, I hear pe- from people, like, that listen to Dopey all the time, and they complain that I, uh, you know, that I talk about AA too much, I talk about 12-step too much, and, and these are people, okay. these are people that, um, that aren't clean. You know what I mean? And maybe they don't need to be clean. You know what I mean? And maybe they do. But like you said to me the other day, rarely, what's the quote? Rarely have we seen somebody trying to do this wholeheartedly fail. You know, what's what's the actual quote? Do you know it?
1: Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Exactly,
3: so, and, and I yeah, think and that's, that's critical for these people who are listening to the show and wondering why they're using it's because they're not really following the path, and I was just like you. I bullshitted myself forever, and in the end, I just needed to get clean. Like, I couldn't live with it anymore, and I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna find... I, I was just like you. I didn't want to work steps. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to fucking do any of it, but in the end, I needed to get clean, so I said, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do, because I knew that if I took suggestions, if I actually did it, that maybe things could change, because I Never done it, and then when I did take suggestions, things did change.
1: Well, and that's—I think that that's exactly where right. that's it in a nutshell, and that's where I'm at with it too. I've—I've I've spent 13 years getting high and in and out of treatment and hurting people and hurting myself, um, and 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 been shown this program, but never done it, never yeah. taken the suggestions, and I'm finally at a point where I'm 30 years old. And it's like it's not cute anymore. Um, it's not fun anymore. And I'm 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 ready to have a life. I'm sick of of, of never having money, of never having consistency. You know, um, not having any any prospects in general. And so for me, it's it just finally gotten to a place like like you just mentioned where I have I have to be willing to just do whatever the fuck I'm told, regardless of how I feel about it. And that's something that I'm trying to. Be cognizant of as well is the way that I feel doesn't really mean shit. Um, there's going I'm gonna be I'm gonna have adverse reactions to a lot of things as far as getting up and going to work, going to a meeting, you know, making paying a bill, whatever the fuck it is. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. I just have to do it, and I'm finding that by taking these little actions, taking these little suggestions it gets easier and, and, and I, you know, you start to build momentum and if I do fuck up and, and don't, you know, fall through on a phone call or don't, you know, whatever it is, um, I just, I don't throw in the towel like maybe I would have in the past. I just say, okay, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, what can I do now though? That's going to bring me, you know, move me forward. Um, it, it's just about, about having a life today. And, and I've seen so many people, you know, who have lives literally beyond their wildest dreams. And I used to hear that in the program and it, and it pissed me off.
3: And, yeah. But, but I, it's like, I what mean, the fuck, it, what know? the fuck is this guy dreaming about that his life is that good? <laughs> it's like, who the fuck is right. he kidding?
0: Well, right. But I
1: think that what they, they mean by that is that when you get clean, or as I've been clean, things have occurred in my life that, that certainly would have not, would not have happened had I not been clean
3: undoubtedly but uh, oh don don before you say that, another thing before you, my life is beyond my wildest dreams at see, this point there we go it is i mean i got my family back we had another baby we bought a house like dopey is fucking sailing along nicely in a way that i like you know and it's yeah. all because of my recovery You know, I, I lived like shit for 41 years and I said to myself, 41 years yielded nothing but misery. What could 40 years without drugs yield me? And I'm at three and a half years in or three years and, you know, three years and three and a half months, three years and four months, almost three and a half years. And my life is better than it's literally ever been, but ever. There you go. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm living proof as they say you know and i hate that shit it gets me it's disturbing like like the the dogma of it but but it's the truth you know
1: yes and and you're so right and i think it just gets to a place where you have to just know I had to get over myself I had to get over this entitled sort of right that's not for me I just t- t- like right t- today I, I just have to be like part of the crowd and just do what what adults do and do what recovering addicts you know in the program do and life will get better and I, I have faith in that I know that from you know as you just as you just said you know for people like yourself other people I know and even if it, even if I don't have a life, even if this doesn't amount to a life beyond my wildest dreams, I know it's going to be better than yes. just the way I've been living the last 13. I know that. But
3: then, then the best part is, the best part is, if it isn't, it's not like they stopped selling fucking coke and dope. If it's fucking terrible, go fucking out. Do your thing. You know what I mean? But it right. won't be. That's not going to be the case.
1: Exactly. Exactly, man. Well, yep.
3: I, I, I am very, very pleased uh to have you back on you definitely brought the dopey as we say i think you brought the dopey like you know the most dopey we've had since we've lost uh you know chris um and i appreciate that a lot and like i think you should come back on and we should tell waiter stories like we didn't touch on waiter stories there's so many good waiter stories but um, I want to do a couple more things before we get off and time is a wasting, yeah. my friend uh, first yes, I know, I blab and blab, yeah no, it's good, it's good I think a lot of people are going to benefit from what you said not to mention it's a fucking hardcore fucking dopey story and uh, and dopey needs if dopey doesn't have dopey stories then what the hell is it? <laughs> so, good um, point, good point so I'm on Twitter you know, and, and our Twitter following is very small but incredibly committed and loving like I think of the dopey twitter followers as the uh the green berets of the dopey nation because these guys are like they just are very supportive and uh and it's very very like sweet on twitter but one dude okay I can't think of his twitter handle at the moment but he said uh that that the dopey stories that we tell are like hipster stories and that he's a real crackhead and that, uh, he couldn't believe it. Cause I told a story about like being on dope and like my solution was to get Ibogaine. So I, I had Ibogaine shipped to Canada and, and I had to drive to, to Montreal to get it. And he's like, what kind of bougie hipster like treats their heroin addiction by driving to Canada? Like I need that hardcore dopey. So he sent in this crazy story, um, and I'm going to play it. So hold on for one sec. I'm going to play this story. Okay. Okay. Do you think Dopey is very hipstery? By the way.
1: No, I think I think I think it's a good mix of
3: of the hardcore with with you know, entitlements with, with, with entitlements.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> a little. But it's you know it's um I think I think it's got just the right amount. To I
3: think it's it's just right. I mean, you know, you're you're not going to be able to please everybody all the time. No, that's true. But let's play this guy's this guy's uh, thing. His name is Al, and and here's Al's story. Okay,
2: okay Dopey Nation, this is Al M from Pennsylvania. Uh, my clean dates two thirteen twelve. This is my dopey story. Okay, so um, early thousands Um, uh, we're out in the streets doing what we do Um, my drug of choice was crack cocaine so you know what we do for drugs Uh, anyway one day one day I gave a drug dealer a ride to a hotel Um, he said he was going to pay me to give him a ride he went in the hotel room never came back out so, weeks later, we see this guy on what we used to call the set, which was the main strip where all the drugs were sold. So, I see the guy, and he happily pays me. Um, as soon as he gives me the crack, I look over his shoulder, and like three cops are running towards him. Uh, I quickly throw it in my mouth. Uh He pulls out this big old bag of crack and throws it on the ground. I remember looking at that bag of crack on the ground like, damn, I should just pick it up and run. Uh, Anyway, so everybody there is arrested and taken to a holding cell. Now, I had the crack in my mouth that he had given me, which I quickly swallowed once I was handcuffed. (laughs) Okay, so we get to the jail. Um, I have no warrants at the time and everything, nothing like that. So I'm released. Um, I go home and I'm thinking, man, I really wanted to get high. I really wanted to get high. I'm thinking like, damn. Then I remember a guy telling me where he had strained his shit (laughs) and smoked it. So being the good junkie that I am, I figured hell might as well give it a try. So I proceeded to take a shit in the toilet. (laughs) Pulled the shit out of the toilet and broke up the shit looking for a piece of clear plastic with crack in it so I finally get what I think is crack it was probably a peanut or a piece of corn I get out my pipe which was a radio antenna at the time with burnt wire in it I can almost taste it now so I get I get out my device and I'm Load it up with shit <laughs> and light it and try to smoke it. Um, I'll I'll never ever forget what that was like. Um, that was years years before I got clean. Of course, um, you know I wasn't done, but it's amazing. excuse me it's amazing what we'll do for that next one um once I did that and realized that I didn't get it I again later on that day took a shit and broke up my shit in my hand looking for what I thought was going to be a pristine Clear piece of plastic with a white rock in it, undamaged. Uh, again, not sure what I smoked. I'm sure it was shit, though, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I don't know. I just uh, wrote in earlier and had said that. Um, show kind of seemed like hipster Um, uh, not to be misunderstood I I really love the show and um, I do listen to it quite often it's uh, you guys are, or you now by yourself are putting out good stuff and I'm sure it's helping save somebody's life so um, yo man just uh, that's that's my dopey story and uh, stay strong out there uh, peace out, Dopey Nation. R.I.P. to Chris. Um, toodles. So that was Al. I fucking,
3: I love that story. That's such a classic, dopey, crack-eating story, you know? Only, and that's like a real addict, you know what I'm saying, who, who can admit. It's a real addict in recovery with balls that can admit going through his shit not once but twice you know what i'm saying that's serious yes <laughs> that that is some serious shit
1: and then and then the just the pure disappointment and and just torture of, of not getting anything out of it you know ha- after going through that and then and then loading it up and literally smoking shit and and getting no no euphoric effect whatsoever must have just been so just incomprehensibly demoralizing
3: right but that might be something that helped him get to the next place because that's the kind of shame and degradation that you really fucking absorb you know what i mean when you go through your shit to smoke some crack that isn't crack that it's a piece of corn or something it's like that's the best thing when he said it might have been corn oh my god (laughs) amazing yeah so I love that. That's
1: some powerlessness, yeah. And that so so that goes to show that you know the, the, the range of your of the dopey nation.
3: You well, know, he's
1: hardcore, and
3: even- he he's trying to bring it. He's trying to show me how hardcore it is for some people. And and I'll tell you though, Don, it, it's just as hardcore for you. I mean, you might not be sh- sifting through your shit. You might come from a, a a world of cottages and and thousand pill Vicodin bottles, but like you've been through it, man. <laughs> You know, you've earned your stripes no, no matter where you're, you're from or whatever. You know, like, you, you have your pain just like I do. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I appreciate Al's point, but, like, you know, all of us go through a lot of stuff. You know, like, I wouldn't wish my uh, my terrible shit on anybody. And um, And something this guy I used to work with would always say. I used to talk about, like, when I wasn't back with my family and I was still struggling with drugs, I would just talk about how miserable I was. And this guy would always say, Well, if everybody took their problems and threw it in the middle of a circle, you'd always pick up your own problems. And I don't know if that's true or right. not, but I love that expression because well, they're yours. Yeah. You've earned them, yeah. you understand them, you know? Um, now, before we go, yeah. I, we invented this little game on Dopey. It's called the stash word, okay? And on the okay. stash word, uh, we have some words, right, and i 'm going to describe the word, and you 're going to tell me what i 'm describing we 're going to play the game for exactly one minute we 've only played it one time before with this writer recovery guru named anna david, and she didn't she only got three, so you 're going to be the second person to play the stash word and uh, and we 'll see how you do. Are you ready okay all right all right let 's do it. All right, hold on. Here we go. The first stash word is when you're using drugs intravenously and, uh, and you can have an infection that can swell up on... Huh?
5: Access. Yes.
3: It is the psychoactive substance in marijuana.
5: THC.
3: Yes. When taking LSD or mushrooms, you are going on a... Uh, trip. Yes. Uh, gay people in the 70s used this drug up their nose. It was also known as poppers. You can pass if uh, you want. Coke,
1: meth?
3: No. Yes. It, okay. Uh, it's Clonopin, uh, Xanax, Adivan. These but are all. Been. Yes. An alcoholic tends to develop this problem in their liver cirrhosis. Yes. It's a long glass tube often used to smoke marijuana. A uh, pipe, a ball, bong. Yes. Um, uh, when people use sprays, inhalants, they are huffing. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, you killed Anna David. <laughs> <laughs> was, was Anna the one that was on just just the last
1: episode who wrote that book, Party
3: Girl? Yeah, that was Anna.
1: Okay, yes. I haven't listened to it yet, but I saw. I need to, I need to
3: listen to it. Yeah, let listen to it. Let me know what you think. That you got one, two, three, four, five, six. 7 8 It's pretty good. Nice.
1: Yep.
3: What I really need well, to what do,
1: you
3: do is Amyl nitrate. Oh, that would I wouldn't
1: have gotten that for a while.
3: Yeah, that's an what old We need to do though. Uh we we need to like uh get sound effects in the game. I need buzzers and whistles and shit. Like <whistles> See that doesn't really work. <laughs> this I I like that. And I need like yeah. Like we need to you know dopey needs a lot of work in order to like be what it's supposed to be, especially I'm sitting in my attic alone on the phone, holding the phone <laughs> up to the mic, so dopey needs needs some work and uh but thank you very much for coming on, Don. you're awesome
1: hey man it's an honor, and you know it, it, dopey is 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 awesome man and it's uh it's your baby and you know and and I know that. You know you've had to you've had to deal with with doing it without Chris and and going through all that and you know so you're doing you're doing great man and uh, keep it going and yeah it's an honor to be on and I hope to, uh, to to get on again sometime soon
3: right on man all right have a good night we'll talk soon okay all
1: right brother all right sounds good Dave thanks for having me on. thanks man Toodles.
3: so that was classic dopey guest Don. Sounds like he's on the the right foot, and let's hope he stays that way, and uh, some serious dopey shit there. Um, now, I was going to do some, you know, ending thoughts, some sort of op-ed piece kind of thing, if you will. But uh, instead, I was talking to my friend Justin, and Justin's on the phone right now. Say what's up. What's up? There's Justin, my my very good friend who co-wrote Good So Bad and has worked on a million things. He's a big shot in the lower Manhattan. He doesn't like me to talk about too much what he does. He's very nervous about the Dopey Nation finding him. But um, Justin and I were talking... Justin's a huge reggae fan, and uh, there's a a great development in the world of reggae that I think the Dopey Nation should know about. And Justin, why why don't you inform the Dopey Nation of what recently just happened? Well,
5: the greatest living reggae artist, Buju Banton, was just released from
3: prison. Okay. And re-
5: repatriated to Jamaica.
3: Repatriation? Yes. I never knew what repatriation was.
5: It means return to your homeland.
3: So, okay, good. So why, and Buju Banton had gone to jail because of what? I, th- I think that was some sort of serious, dopey he was, story. He was set up by federal agents in a drug deal. Um, he was on a plane coming back from a show, I think, in Spain
5: and um, a a federal you know, a federally paid informant happened to be sitting next to him in first class on this plane um, made friends with him on the and then pursued him for months or even over a year afterwards to try to get him to do a drug deal and finally uh, Buju agreed to do it and uh, of course, the minute that they had him on tape um, agreeing to do it, the agent swooped in and arrested him. Um, they tried him. I think the first time it ended in a mistrial. They tried him again, and then they put him in prison for almost ten
3: years. Well, the weirdest part about that story is, like you said, you're talking about you know one of the the biggest reggae stars in the history of reggae music. You know, possibly the most influential uh, dance hall artist ever. Uh, you know, Rastafarian, you know, leader of people, people loved Buju Mantan and worshipped him, and yet he agreed to do this crazy coke deal. Like, I, me and you had that conversation before. Why would well, he have ever agreed it?
5: to? me, the strange thing to me, Dave, is all of the things you said, except for the last part, right? Great artist, one of the greatest living, you know, musicians, certainly the greatest living reggae artist um, better than you know, Beanie a Man, great, A great hero Of course A okay. great hero in Jamaica um, And around the world to reggae fans Doesn't the United States government Have better things to do Than to, to trap him in a drug deal um, It's crazy It's totally crazy But thank god he's out now He's back home And I'm sure he'll be making music soon um, It's been a, a pretty bad Ten years for reggae music As far as I'm concerned um, vibes Cartel has been locked up for most of that time too, but he's been—he's in jail in Jamaica. So he, he actually records uh, music from his prison and, and still actually has the most number one hits of anyone in Jamaica.
3: Well, why did Vibes? Why did they lock up Vibes Cartel?
5: Well, he actually killed someone. I mean, he's actually an actual criminal.
3: So nobody co-opted him into the murder. No U.S. government officials showed I don't, up and I don't said,
5: "Oh no!" I, I mean, the person who got killed probably was some other gangster, but but he's an actual murderer.
3: All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end dopey with uh with some Buju Banton to celebrate Buju's freedom. I don't believe that he was necessarily set up, but I do believe he's great.
5: Well, just read about it.
3: Well, I can't read that stuff. I can't pay attention. I don't care.
5: Well, then don't talk about what you don't know.
3: Well, that's why I had you on. <laughs>
5: Um, Do you think anyone in the Dopey Nation is a are there many reggae fans in the Dopey Nation? I'd be interested to know
3: that. Well, okay, Dopey Nation if you're a reggae fan, uh, write us an email uh, let us know if you think there's a a greater living uh Jamaican reggae star than Buju Banton, let us know uh Supercat's still alive, but Buju Banton's bigger than Supercat.
5: oh yeah, um, way
3: better better. Song fee song better, or just overall yes. better?
5: Supercat. Plus, Supercat is crazy now.
3: All right. Regardless, I, I, I want to read a couple of emails before you get off the phone, because I, I get a kick okay. out of this kind
5: all of right, thing. Okay. All right.
3: Um, all right. This is more dopey business than Buju Bantam, but I figure, you know, he got picked up for selling Coke and went away for selling Coke, so it's worth telling on dopey. Anyway, here's an email I just got from Norway. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Justin, you're listening? Definitely. Now, Justin listened to every episode of Dopey, but he's not up to the last episode, episode 164. And this is about 164. You ready, Justin? Yep. He says, Dave, the last episode, 164, was by far the worst Dopey episode ever. It was not funny. I thought, one, I
5: thought 163 was actually the worst.
3: The worst?
5: Well, in the, t- in the bottom five.
3: The bottom five?
5: That, in my book, Yes.
3: Dude, the bottom five is always growing for you, too. <laughs> you're always finding another <laughs> no, episode.
5: of to... new population in the bottom five. <laughs> you're
3: always trying to squeeze another one into the bottom five. <laughs> anyway, um, it hurts, man. It doesn't, that doesn't feel good. But anyway, let me continue.
5: You were, on, you were on a roll for a while there.
3: Were there some top five ones in the past few?
5: I think so. I'd have to think about it, but probably.
3: Well, I think you're a jerk. But let me continue. Um, blah, blah, blah. All right. Your guest Anna and yourself went on and on about how to succeed in the podcast business. Please stop. The con- that sounds
5: really boring, huh? I, I, I mean, that sounds really boring. If you were no, talking
3: shut about up! How to you don't comment podcast. on it. Don't comment until you hear the episode. Just listen to the email. Uh, the conversation about the name of her podcast seemed to go on forever. Please stop now. That's two please stops from this fucking Norwegian. Um... I understand that you want to create a successful podcast, but this is not the way to go. Like, Roger knows how to make a fucking successful podcast, Justin. Let me continue. I understand. Okay, but this is not the way to go. If you continue with this approach, please rename Dopey to How to Make a Podcast to Podcast so I know when to unsubscribe. I think you should unsubscribe now, dude. Fuck it. I think
5: this guy sounds very reasonable to me.
3: Let me Let me finish. According to Live Science, there are 21 million people—he can't even fucking talk English right—there are 21 million people with substance abuse problems in the U.S. If you calculate that each of these addicts have five close relatives and friends, more than 100 million people is affected— Listen, Roger, it's are affected. Well, that's faulty logic there. Let me continue. By drugs in their day-to-day life. So there you go, Dave. There is your audience. You are welcome. No doubt that you can live of a good, dopey podcast. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Anyway, again, my wish is that you continue with the crazy dope stories because well, they... That's, 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 yes, I agree. Just Justin, agree. shut up, man. I'm reading the fucking email. Because they are entertaining. However, the best moments in your podcast is when you dig deep into understanding and explaining addiction. Please, Dave, dig deeper. Also good. Also good. Why do people relapse? What was their thoughts, weeks, days, hours before they start using again? At what point and why do addicts decide to go to rehab? Why do some stay clean and others do not? What feelings and thoughts do the relatives and friends of addicts have both when this the guy addict was exactly what's good about the show. You're so in... that's not what's good about the show. They should they should listen to another show. Anyway, both when the addict is using and when they are not. I really think that by digging deeper into these issues, you could expand your audience outside the junkie population and maybe pursue your, he says pursuit, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that. Maybe pursuit...
5: How well do you speak Norwegian?
3: I don't. But I'm not writing okay, some Norwegian then. podcast host and telling him that he sucks. Anyway, uh, and maybe pursue your, your carrier. I think he's got some kind of translation program. Pursuit your carrier as a professional podcaster. Stay strong in toodles. Best of luck and regards, Roger. Now you agree with Roger, Justin?
5: Uh, yeah, almost a hundred percent. The only thing I wouldn't agree with is that the math was was faulty because what he's not taking into account is let's just say there are twenty one million addicts in the U.S. Right, and they each have five family and friends. Yes, some of the five family and friends are probably also addicts, so the number is not a hundred million. Listen, you but and other, other you, than that, yeah. other than that, I'm a hundred percent on board with Roger.
3: You and Roger should start your own podcast on addiction. <laughs> Dopey. He doesn't
5: want to start a podcast, and he doesn't want to hear about how to do a podcast. He wants to hear what's good about your show.
3: Listen, if, if you... He's
5: telling funny stories and 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 sort of investigating and, and pondering, you know, why people do this stuff.
3: Dude, we barely talk about that, and you're like the biggest Dopey fan there is.
5: Well, those are the parts that I like the best.
3: No, the part that you like the best is when I talk shit.
5: Yes, also, my favorite thing I'm... My, if I if I thought about the best thing I ever heard on the show, probably the Big Bird story, that would be number one, probably. Number two probably is when Chris told that story about having that bottle of, of unknown liquid that he chugged, and it turned out to be some very powerful drug. I forget the name of it. The
3: GHB story, the, the Blue yeah. Mountain Parade story. Yeah, that
5: was yeah. great. Uh, those are the kinds of things that I like.
3: I like this. My favorite stuff on the show is like when we just sit around and talk shit. Uh, that's my favorite stuff, and I yeah, that's also okay. like.
5: Sometimes it's good.
3: I also like this stuff. You know, Roger is—he's um, a good guy. He's a nice Norwegian guy. But you should um,
5: thank him for his advice. It's very good advice. Listen, I—I uh, think-
3: I, I don't thank you for this. I think you should back me up on this. I think if Roger wants to make some Norwegian addiction show, he should go make the fucking Norwegian addiction show.
5: I think you should just take the advice and move on.
3: No, I'm not going to move on. And he can't tell me what makes Dopey Dopey. I tell Roger what makes Dopey Dopey. You wouldn't
5: have the show if if there were no fans. There would be no show.
3: Listen, Roger, Roger, I, I, I call the shots on what makes Dopey Dopey at this point. Chris is dead. I miss Roger, him. Roger,
5: I'm with you 100%.
3: Justin, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to take this Norwegian no, side on totally me? totally
5: on his side. Totally on his Why
3: side. Why did I call you up? I don't know. You're it's boring with you're, I boor- about to go to bed. you're boring with the Buju Banton newscast, and now really? you're taking Roger's side. Okay. I didn't
5: even think it was a good idea to talk about Buju Banton. I don't think many people on your show know who he is.
3: Well, maybe They should gonna, check him out. They're going to know now. Uh, they're going to know now. And I'm going to tell you this. Uh, Roger... I do appreciate the advice. Um, I do think addiction is a very huge part about dopey because dopey is, after all, about drugs, addiction, and what else, Justin?
5: Dumb shit.
3: That's right. It's about drugs, addiction, and dumb you gotta
5: shit. You got to keep the balance, though. It's all about balancing those three things.
3: The mystical balance of dopey between drugs, addiction, and dumb shit is not a walk in the park. And sometimes, I know. sometimes, sometimes the,
5: you get all three. That's what you want.
3: The formula cannot be repeated. It's not a formula show. We do not have the same format. We we have a million formats. Or at least we have 5 formats, right? At least 5.
5: Are you going to start talking about
3: how to do a podcast now? Dude, I wish I could just do a podcast on how to do a podcast. I wish I missed the days of me and Chris doing a podcast on where Dopey is at. That's my favorite. That
5: was the part I didn't like the most.
3: But other people really loved that stuff.
5: Well, I don't know what they were thinking.
3: All right, enough, Justin. You want, now do you want to hear the, the positive email that I have? Sure. All right. Hey, Dave. Hope you're doing okay. I assume things are still super tough for you without your beautiful friends. Uh, and I am sending love and good vibes your way. This is definitely not a Norwegian, by the way. Uh, and I am sending love and good vibes your way whenever I think of you and Chris and Dopey. And on that, Dopey is still smoking than two emoji hand-clapping things. They don't even have hand-clapping emojis in Norway, I don't think. Anyway, you're such a great interviewer, and I'm loving all the wicked guests. I meant to write... Wicked guests. Huh?
5: Wicked guests, he said.
3: It's a woman. This is a woman. Oh,
5: she...
3: You don't like the wicked guests? I don't like
5: any part of this, so...
3: Oh, Jesus Christ. I meant... you know, How about that she's sending love, and she thinks of Chris, and it's nice stuff? Well... Come on. You know, that's not my thing. That's true. Anyway, you're such a great interviewer, and I'm loving all the wicked guests. I meant to write and tell (laughs) you how impressed I was at your complex and compassionate interview with Andy Dick. Personally, I thought that guy was a misogynist, narcissist, and I wasn't wrong. It turns out. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I read that terribly. (laughs) Personally, I thought that guy was a misogynist, narcissist, and I wasn't wrong, it turns out. Ha, ha, ha. But I also believe strongly in giving everyone a go, and you certainly did that and it paid off from where I was sitting. You're so patient and positive unlike you I
5: agree, I agree with that
3: you did that was
5: a good interview.
3: unlike you, Justin, I'm so patient and positive. It's an inspiration well, true you pre- uh, listen well, I do agree with this person that you've
5: done some very good episodes recently, and that you your interviewing skills have improved. I agree with that
3: so it seems like you agree with everything except for what I have to say.
5: No, well, no, I agree that uh, the show should be about drug stories uh, and, and and understanding why people relapse and, and why they get addicted in the first place, like the Norwegian guy said. And I agree with the second uh, email about how your interviews have gotten good.
3: All right, let me finish, okay? Uh, you proved it with Artie. Let's hope he can stay strong. And you are touching so many others with your strength and vitality. It's beautiful. Bravo. I you great. like that? And that's from Lovely. Mandy. That's from Mandy. Warm,
5: it warms my heart. That's nice. The, the Artie Lang episode was a great episode.
3: Did you hear what happened with Artie? Artie, Artie got out of rehab. Uh, he went to court yesterday. He's 41 days off heroin. He's on suboxone. But he tested positive for Coke last week.
5: What is this suboxone? I mean, I don't understand that. Like, how is it different from methadone? It's, that's one thing as a non heroin user i don't understand
3: it's a different uh, chemical substance but it's it's just a different replacement treatment you know if if you took suboxone right now you'd get higher than you've ever been right if i took suboxone right now i'd get higher than i ever was what about methadone? would you get high with methadone I, I yeah i would be fucking floating above my house and so would you we'd be dead if we took methadone right now um huh. So um, Artie's on Suboxone, Artie tested positive for Coke, but you want to hear something crazy? Can I ask you a question? You can ask do me people anything.
5: ever me Do people ever get addicted to methadone or Suboxone first?
3: It's rare. I'm sure there's those stories. Are they like stories.
5: gateway drugs?
3: No, they're never gateway drugs. I think maybe sometimes I've heard about people who got prescriptions for methadone because they were coming off of another painkiller or something. Mm. But that's a good question. Let's throw it into the dopey, dopey nation. It's kind it? of
5: interesting, right? Because if a if a non-user would get high from them, theoretically, you could start with that.
3: It doesn't give you the same. It's not the, It's not as a as a sought-after high. You know, you'd okay. get high. I remember the first time I did Suboxone. I had just started using heroin again, and uh, I was I was getting heroin from a uh, kind of like this homeless shelter on Bowery. You know where that crazy hotel is on Bowery and, like, I want to say 5th Street, like near that bar Phoebe's? There's that nice yeah, hotel. Where,
5: like right where CPGB's used to
3: be. Right. There, uh, half of the block is this nice hotel and half the block is this homeless shelter. And I used to cop dope at that homeless shelter. And one time they didn't have any heroin and the guy gave me a bunch of 8-milligram uh, Suboxones, which are these huge orange pills. And, uh, and I got higher from the Suboxone than I did it from his uh, – Gabbage heroin So uh, But I don't think That most people I'm sure that there are people That that start off on Suboxone Because it's available And it gets them high But the high doesn't sustain You know what I mean Once you're in You're not getting high You're getting maintained Way quicker than you would be With heroin And I'm also joking With Roger I know Roger's point He's very sweet Whatever I'm happy there are people In Norway that like It's a very insightful email Just Come on Justin Can't you just get my back Once in a while (laughs) I agree with Roger You're such a dick um, what was I gonna say? Oh, so Artie, you know what Artie did? What? Artie texted me. First of all, I went to see Artie perform in uh near where you live in Levittown. Uh I don't live near there. You live closer to Levittown than I do. Um yeah. okay, go ahead. And uh and he was good. And uh but Linda wanted to get home quickly, and I brought a dopey hat for him, you know? So uh mm-hmm. I, I gave the do- – there was some guy in a very nice suit. He looked like he owned the place, so I gave him the hat and I said, would you give this to Artie? And we left. And then an hour later, Artie's posting all these pictures on Twitter of him in the Dobie hat. So that, oh, that's cool. That was awesome. And then he, I texted him to thank him and he told me that he's going to come out with a podcast and he wants me to be on his podcast. Well, that would be great. I'm sure it won't happen, but it was cool. It was a cool offer. He
5: should just come on your podcast. It would be easier for him.
3: No, but he wants his own podcast
5: Yeah, he, he has a lot of work doing a podcast
3: Tell Maybe me about you it could,
5: You could podcast to, to Artie about doing a podcast
3: Uh, Yeah, he knows how to do a podcast though Artie's made like almost millions of dollars just podcasting
5: Didn't he do a podcast that he made people pay for?
3: Yeah, he did a, a bunch of them
5: Yeah, I never, I never listened to that Well You I, know, I, I never listened to podcasts until I listen to your podcast
3: Well, what podcast do you listen to besides my podcast?
5: I don't really listen to many podcasts. Sometimes I listen to Joe Rogan. though.
3: is there is there a podcast that you're aware of that's better than my podcast? Mm, uh,
5: well, sometimes Joe Rogan is better than your podcast, but
3: um, but wouldn't I, that I, uh, wouldn't that also say that sometimes I'm better than Joe Rogan? Yes, absolutely. Wouldn't you say I'm more often better than Joe Rogan than he is better than me?
5: Well, I listen to yours much more than I listen to his, so it's hard to say, but. A lot of people like this guy, Mark Maron, um, who well, the Dopey Nation mispronounced his name as Moran or Dude, Moran
3: dude, or, listen. Off the air, you tell me you think I'm better than Joe Rogan. You can tell the Dopey Nation that you think I'm better than Joe sometimes, Rogan.
5: Sometimes, yes, absolutely.
3: So when am I not as good as Joe Rogan?
5: Mm, some of the episodes are just not, are a little bit flat that's
3: all well Joe Rogan doesn't wait tables and fucking commute to Long Island from the Lower East no, Side no
5: he does and like a hundred podcasts a week
3: dude he does three podcasts a week and he goes deer hunting if I was and fucking and weights all the time and, and takes DMT if I was doing shoots, that shit he shoots wild yeah. boar with arrows yeah. and stuff dude if I had a lifestyle like that my podcast would be much better I'm sure <laughs> I'm serious um, anyway we're gonna we're gonna end the show now So, uh, you know, leave a review. Let us know what you think about Buju Banton. Is it Banton or Banton? Banton, Banton. Buju Banton. Buju Banton. And it's not Suboxone. It's Suboxone. Um, And, um, you know, fucking follow us on Instagram. There's a lot of nasty people talking about Dopey on Reddit these days. Dopey Twitter is still very loving. I think
5: Reddit. I don't know what Reddit is, really, but it seems like a... Like a like a place where really creepy people hang out.
3: You think it's a bad place?
5: Yeah, we'll go on there if you're
3: a person. All right, so stay away from Reddit. And let, unless you want to be supportive of the Dopey Nation on Reddit, which I could really use some some nice people on our Dopey Reddit page. That would be nice. Oh, and then there's another thing that happened. There was this huge – There's because Justin is one of the, the smartest people. Unfortunately, I have to admit that, that Justin is one of the smartest people I ever met. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, And Justin doesn't even have a Facebook account because he's so fucking smart. Right, Justin?
5: I don't belong to any of that,
3: yeah. So um, now on Facebook, there's a page called Dopey Nation, which is a closed group of uh, Dopey fans, right? And, uh, And this week, there was a major schism in the Dopey Nation and feelings were hurt. And I just want to say to the Dopey Nation that we don't have any room for uh, hate in the Dopey Nation. We need just love in the Dopey Nation. and especially I
5: think a lot of this social media encourages hate because people can just say whatever they want without any consequences.
3: Willy nilly. They just say what they want and they, yeah. and they don't realize that somebody on the More other end. One of the end, worst things about it. Right. And somebody on the other end is going to get hurt. So I just want to wish peace in the Dopey Nation, especially around Christmas time.
5: I don't belong to social media, but my rule, if I did, would be don't say anything on social media that you wouldn't be willing to say to someone's face.
3: Right. And you don't, but you're a pussy. You wouldn't say anything to anybody's face.
5: That's not true. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go around saying things on social media that cause me to get beat up if I said it to someone's face.
3: Well, I think that's a good rule. And I, but more importantly, wouldn't you say there should be peace in the dopey nation this Christmas Absolutely. time? Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm sorry I called you a pussy. I don't mean it. Um, so everybody out there, just uh, you know, take care of each other. If you got problems, reach out. Uh, if you want Dopey to be less about podcasting and more about drugs and addiction, I vote for that. Yeah. Well, it's gonna be a hard sell. Uh, be in touch. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And uh, you want to say you want to say the magic toodles for Chris? Sure, toodles. You just say toodles. You don't mind even. You can just say it. What do you mean toodles? I, I can never just say toodles. I say toodles for Chris because it makes me sick that Chris would say toodles. Disgusting. Well,
5: I never had an issue with
3: that. Why not?
5: I mostly had an issue with how he room when he would say rum.
3: He would say rum. Yeah, that
5: would, that would always make me a little angry. But toodles, I never, that never bothered me. So you, toodles.
3: You want to hear something else that's crazy? Justin? Sure. The fourth person in the Dopey Nation just got a Dopey Tattoo. Fourth Dopey Tattoo. Wow. That I didn't pay for. Wow. Amazing, right? Yeah. Do you think that they think I talk too much about podcasting, these people with the Dopey Tattoos?
5: Probably. I don't think they'd be getting tattoos about a podcast about podcasting.
3: They, well they did <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you they, that's exactly what they did so stay strong Dopey Nation and Toodles for Chris and thank you Justin and, and listen we're gonna we're gonna end it with a uh, with a Buju Banton song so Banton song Buju nice. Banton song so wh- if you were gonna pick one which one would you pick? Driver A Driver A not till I'm laid to rest? no Driver A I don't even know Driver A it's a
5: great song put it on
3: alright stay strong Dopey Nation and Toodles Toodles for, for Chris.
0: I want you can't just run the road for me. And don't take no time from the body. Just do what me tell you for the same style. And make sure say so everything work I can to all man say so everything for work, see? Take back yourself and bring back yourself in a one piece. Make sure so you see your Hear me? Lord of mercy. Hey, Lord of his mercy. Lord of mercy. Drive out. Go stop at all, drop this Arizona Rona album all Driver, don't even itch. Collect the little food there and come back quick Driver, don't just remember the damn speed limit Cause if you're running the fence, my friend, that is it I've got an next phone and a singular chip Any problem, you can reach me on this I bounce them and buy when a tons man a-ship Green like grass, brown like chocolate Felix and UPS, I met same trip all trip. How many life savings are ripe and ripe on this you can drink and be able to dear bonus split? Listen to the mari want make your life down belief. Even though we compress and tie do in a plastic. Don't deliver it, I go in no drastic. I'm a real gun, me bro, Sammy and you know we can't stick. We want change me think I put up the chromastic. Tell you I've received Red Bull as trick hypnotic son driver. Me say don't stop around an driver. Don't even itch. Collect the liquid food there and come back quick. Driver, just remember the damn feed been limit. Because if you're running the fence, my friend, that is it. I beat this man, I'm run, not running in and about now. Nah, because my girl want wear Victoria's secret trash. Sam, no love, yes, so you feel put in pompas. Billy, you're in farmer with federal charge. Remember, don't care about the yammy yard. So what you yeah, me I mean, love, me, no respect, coward. I did panamish, and I, me shan, man. Hustling ad, no get to you today, must suffer and starve. Hustling ability, we learned at the yard. Don't no feel your brain big, no on drag track yard. The last one we tried that, then like that. Say laugh when you offer make we set you record. Driver, miss it, don't stop at all. Track this Arizona, alma Albemarle. Driver, miss it, don't even itch. Collect the little and come back with. Driver, just remember the gasping. Limit and if you run in the cops, my friend, that is it. Hop will pop why some while you're pure lip. Couldn't put your pants and you know you can't slip. Reach up and they bring for me, them turn on dip. Watch it, make the roof, watch on them. How we do it when you watch, right? Make sure you're meant speed limit. I want to
6: take a walk around the world. I wonder, would it do me any good? Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear Jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people What it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good So bad so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and yeah, my shadows get smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadows getting smaller and smaller. And it's I knew where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind? When I leave this busted city far behind, I'll take the high road, however far it winds. Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good, so bad I want to be good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had These suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. had, These suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and
5: it's all I ever had.